Welcome to Mecha Nations, a critical analysis and rewatch podcast of all things Mecha. I am one of your hosts, PMC Trilogy. This week, we are releasing the second of our pilot podcasts. This one features discussion of Mobile Suit Gundam 0080 War in the Pocket, episodes 4 through 6, and some wrap-up thoughts. And also an extremely funny Marin, where I talk about the announcement of Trails of Cold Steel 3 for the North American market which is funny because I am playing that game right now in 2020, and the pilot episode was recorded in early 2019. You may have noticed that we also released a bonus pod, having Steven Hero and Ignis Maddox discuss Final Fantasy VII Remake. And then next week, we'll be resuming our normal podcast schedule, including two pods on Premiere. First, we'll do a history of Studio Trigger, picking up after Gurren Lagann and leading up to the creation of Premiere. And in the following week, we'll have the second pod, which will discuss the movie itself and feature a special guest. If you need to contact us, please tweet us at MechanationsPod or write to us, MechanationsPod at gmail.com. Enjoy! Can't you see that you are sweet? Oh, let me. Hi, welcome to Mechanations, a critical analysis and rewatch podcast. I am one of your hosts, Ignis, Ignis Maddox. That's my name, Ignis Maddox. Uh, Steven Hero here, your best Wonder Company employee. Is that the fast food chain? I looked it up. <laughs> oh, McDonald's. Yeah, McDonald's is what I called them. Look, look, man, I'm just PMC Trilogy, and I'm just here to clean the floors at the Pink Elephant. <laughs> so don't, don't ask me to do anything. <laughs> Oh man, the pink elephant. Oh man. Speaking speaking of pink elephants and things that are extremely realistic, before we before we dive into war, yeah. war in the pocket, yeah. I want to touch on a bit of mecha adjacent news that is important to me. Finally this week we got the announcement that Trails of Cold Steel 3 is being localized That's for North right. America. Now, of course... It's Nisa. Uh, yeah, done, being done by Nisa with a few Xseed veterans. You know, Xseed, of course, localized all the other Trails games that have so far made it uh, you know, with, to have English localizations. So, I, you know, I'm just curious. You know, the series is upfront about the Military Academy thing. Right. Uh, at the very tail end, uh, spoilers, turn your ears off right now, they introduce some Mecha stuff, and Mecha stuff shows up very prominently in Cold Steel 2. Right. I didn't know that. Yes. It oh, is, yeah. It is, it is actually very funny, because at the end of Cold Steel 1, they use the Dost Thou Desire the Power line, which you may remember as being... Word for word? Word, word for, for word. word. Uh, as being Graf's deal in the video game Xenogear is also, of course, a huge Mecha uh, video game. Make you know drawing on many tropes and other things. So I was just curious. Did you have any thoughts? I, I think the most salient th- thing here for most people is the idea that this Falcom series has changed hands for who's doing the. Yeah, I love talking about video game inside baseball, particularly as it applies to Japanese co- companies. Mm. I only have a cursory knowledge of, yeah. but I wonder if someone at NISA has some sort of family connection or went had dinner or something with an executive at Falcom because I'm. The move is startling because Exceed has really helped shepherd a lot of Falcom properties to the U.S. and cultivate a specific relationship with their fans therein. Right. Both both the East and Trails, which I think we would probably agree are the Falcom, uh, the flagship Falcom series to, yeah. have, to come over here, have now changed hands. I mean, East 8 already had their, their first go with, with Nisa, and now Trails is going to be doing the same thing. 
Nisa's uh, translations have gotten progressively more slapdash and amateurish as right. years go on. So that's yeah. another unfortunate. It's an unfortunate thing, thing, but of course they did make the announcement, and I, and I think they anticipated this after the debacle with East Eight. Uh, they made the announcement that certain members of the team, like Brittany Avery, who was a uh, you know worked very in depth on the trails localizations, are going to be involved with this localization for Cold Steel Three. So that that's good thing. Good signs to it's me. PS4 only, right? PS4 they only. Want, they want that doubled at money later. Yeah, on. Uh, you know, and, th- and then of course also, you know, that I can tell that other members of the cast, uh, the voice actor of the main character Reen, uh, has already tweeted about it that he will be working, of course, in Cold Steel. He provided his voice to the announcement trailer oh, as well. Cool. So it, you know, it seems like it's going to be a continuation uh, in terms of the staff. Let's just hope that they are being being given the money and time to do the same good job that they did with Cold Steel One and Two. Yeah, because that's a massive undertaking. Oh yeah, oh, for sure. Has. You don't always get the original cast for uh, the voice actors either. I know recently uh, Tales of Vesperia, another uh, JRPG, uh, re- they they did not uh, tap people to return to voice some of their characters. I know Troy Baker. Uh, was one of the people talking about how he wasn't even... No one even reached out to him. Uh, you I wonder know. if he would do it if given the chance. Who, Troy? Yeah. He said he would. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but yeah, that's really exciting. I know you were waiting a long time uh, yeah, I, for that I announcement. Been literally yelling for like weeks and months. I can probably search the Discord <laughs> and just find repeated mentions of me, uh, all caps, just vicious things. Yeah, and I mean, it's. I don't think we'll ever get another opportunity to talk about uh, uh, teenagers in mechs. So yeah, that's not a that's thing. True. Military academy, you say? Yeah, no. I think we'll be. I'm very excited. Not to, of course, I kid. I'm not trying to impugn trails at all in any way. But I, it is, you know, interesting. Of course, how this this idea comes up. Uh, anyway, machinations. Uh, we were last week. We discussed the first part of uh war in the pocket episodes one two and three and this week we'll be continuing our conversations into uh episodes four five and six uh did you uh why don't we start off and transition right into episode one yes yeah, so i have a brief summary here of uh, episode four episode four rather uh the relationship so during this episode clearly the relationship between al and bernie deepens uh cyclops team plans will be their final mission to capture or destroy the federation's new gundam model and uh, we'll talk about the ending soon enough, but the episode opens. Uh, Al takes and delivers the photos of the Federation's new mobile suit to Bernie as a uh, much-needed reconnaissance. Well, it's interesting because the uh, it, it's something that I wanted to ask you guys just right up. Um, when it comes to this mission, did they know there was a Gundam here? This is a surprise, right? This is a sh- the surprise that there is a, a Gundam model at this co- they knew there was a federation base here uh because of the whole i think the, the this was the police officer mentions this i want to focus on that later too the police officer mentions that a lot of the public had idea that the federation was there but they thought that they were housing the mobile suits not actively building the mobile suits right which is what, what they were doing at the gundam of course which the cop blames as one of the reasons why the Oh, I was targeting in the first place. That's a great conversation. I can't right. wait that's to talk a great about conversation. that um, um, Right from the start, one thing I wanted to touch on, because I don't think we really covered this since it was a cliffhanger at the end of episode three. As a trope in media, does the, oh my God, is the person going to get discovered? And then when the scene actually plays out, it's revealed that they can you know jump 20 feet and are you know totally away from being discovered. 
Does that bother you at all? I, I, I think I'm okay with it. Cause, I was like, fine. Obviously, I actually had yeah. to think about the scene. I had to actively think about right. the scene. I, like, I would rather just get on with it. And, like, of course, he's not going to get discovered. And, of course, the suspense of he is he going to be discovered is a fun, dramatic thing to do. So it doesn't really bother me. I just thought I would check in. I, um, I can't. I don't know. I, I can't recommend everyone look at it this way, but for me, uh, the story w- has to continue one way or the other, you know, and we're in episode three, and uh, I, I just, uh, with that set up, I could see where, you know, it, there's information being hidden from us in that scenario, how he gets out of that, so I, I, I don't know. It doesn't bother me because it's, it's I, I see exactly what they're trying to do right, with the writing, right, right. so it doesn't it doesn't bother me. So I'm gonna jump. I'm gonna capture us with a specific alert real quick. Specific alert. Specific alert. The government of the colony is referred to as the Riyadh government throughout the, the series. Yeah. So that's not one colony. That's overall that's jurisdiction a, that's a between. All right. Right. I believe. I believe it's because it's uh, side six, the neutral side. That's uh, right. Of course, this is a particular colony uh, among the colonies of side six. And the thing I want to check in on was they sort of allude to the governmental structure during this news broadcast. And I was just curious if you had any comments about about the governmental structure, the use of an assembly, and how that you know compares, contrasts with, uh, with Xeon. You know, I, I, I just found that to be an interesting detail to suggest, you know, does that mean that as neutral as Side 6 uh, aspires to be, does that... You know, certainly that's been a sort of 20th century historical narrative that your governmental structure you know, tends to make you align one side or the other. Does you know? Does that explain why Side Six is like, oh yeah, hey, Earth Federation, you can you know kind of hang out here. We're still neutral because we don't want to be involved in this. But I thought it was a nice touch because this isn't a side you usually see in the TV series, which they don't go into necessarily granular detail between the tensions of the local colonists versus the Federation forces as well. I right. thought that was an interesting detail. Yeah. Uh, I mean. I don't know how much I would have to add to that mm-hmm. necessarily, other than I, I think it's interesting to uh, really show the sausage being made as far as the politics goes in, in this particular yeah, series. Yeah, the treaty hasn't been ratified either, which probably represents that political uncertainty as well. Sure. Especially because, you know, in in the original Gundam series, at least, uh, we... Zeon kind of just has to, to serve as the antagonist. So they really... We really get to see, like real shitheads on the Xeon side and it really to me I've always kind of pictured them as way less functional on the actual like how do we govern anything yeah. side than as like a pile of hilarious military right. clown shoes you know yeah a bunch of warlords fighting over scraps right exactly like it almost makes me wonder if it's a like the these neutral colonies like like the the Raya or what however uh, just don't know how to react because it's they're not acting like uh, a body of government. You yeah. know, they're acting like this. You know, like like cartoon villains almost. I love the lore dumps though to the greater Gundam universe. I like to get the feel of what's going on as the one year war reaches its conclusion. Oh yes, like that scene where Steiner's watching the news. We find out that things are going poorly for Zeon. Uh, war prospects are clearly dim, and the, his conversation with Charlie, you know, cements that. But we get we get the news that other colonies now are refusing not only to cooperate with Zeon but provide them with safe haven, and all the Zeon ships have been ordered to leave immediately from the Rhea colonies. So I like lore dumps like that. Sick lore dump. Mm, sick lore dump. I I also really like the establishing shots that as we approach Christmas, uh, there's a really a lot of uh, in my head. I I really edited in uh, uh, very specific. Uh, 
uh, out of tone Christmas carols, like just as we cut between all of these. Uh, I just think they did a really good job uh, establishing the the it, it mood. Came, it came upon a midnight clear, that glorious Gundam of old. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, I was going to jump to this. Uh, I was going to jump to this later. It's since we're dropping down Christmas references. When the fight breaks out later in the episode, they reference that the action's going down on West 18th Street. All right, this would have been a sick ref. This could have been a sick reference to the miracle on 34th Street, but they could have called it. There's a massacre going on in 34th Street. <laughs> I mean, I th- this show is a little dark. I think that might be too dark. I, I don't. I don't know about that. I. I like that. I like it, but it's not. I. I. Because it's almost there too, right? Yeah. It's very it, on the nose, but so is. Oh no, we just misfired and blew up the school. So. I mean, I, I think you know, getting into you were just touching on you know the Lord's Ump and the information that the war is going poorly, and one of the things that I wanted to get to was. I I like that right at the beginning of this episode, we are already doing... I mean, there's a lot of contrasting that's going to go on here in our discussion. We're already contrasting the romantic adventure of Alfred spying with Steiner checking in on the war progress. And, you know, smoking a cig and thinking about, you know, what's going on and how... The you know, even at the moments where you are able to successfully perform war in this adventurous way that really the bill comes due. Well, and, you know, just to, to add on to what you're saying there, um, think about we were also shown Garcia doing the the kind of thankless, and, and, you know, we don't get to see this part, but he had to work up to being, like, a janitor guy. You know, you don't just show up in the orange service uniform and just are like, hey, I'm here to, to do the thing. He's probably been there a couple times now or something like that and you know that he's not doing a cool fun sneaking mission where he has to scoot along space or whatever like he's he's getting in in the guts of the thing and putting some dynamite up in there uh you know it, it's interesting to me that uh when when bernie and al do stuff it, it is like rambunctious 80s kids movie stuff and when we see the real the real soldiers doing the real work um it's it's like utility workers you know hmm. doing like actual work i think it's interesting that the xeon we never get to see xeon like in this like grunt capacity we always see the people in charge with xeon right right uh okay so moving forward with that one uh another bit i know in the last pod we discuss some of these sort of almost transitive things where because knowledge is withheld from some characters about other characters oftentimes uh Al becomes a conduit for communication. One thing I wanted to ask was when Bernie is finally reviewing the pictures of the Alex Gundam that Al picks up, he whistles like, I'm like, mm, I, I can't whistle, but he, he whistles. Is, is there some transitive stuff going on there? Is like, you know, what, what is, what is that? Yeah. Oh, you mean like to Chris? Yeah. Yeah. That's oh. what I was asking about. That's interesting. Was the next scene I was going to talk about too is basically when they, con- the only time, when they metaphorically consummate their relationship, which is just like, hey, you can call me Chris. Right. You can call me Al. Oh, no, wait. No, sorry. That's dun, 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 dun. <laughs> I love that song. Yeah. yeah. It's a good song. Um, it, but, uh, I, I love that idea. That's such a great idea. Yeah. It, there's a lot of, uh, you know, it, we'll get to it when you talk about episode six, but there is a lot of transitive sorts of c- characters who can't communicate directly. I, I agree with that idea. I'm not sure. I agree with that take. I like that. Yeah, it, it's obviously different because 
it's it's hard to say what what Bernie is reacting to. Like, if you really want someone to look at the text, like, oh man, that seems like a big problem. Like, right. oh boy, whistle, you know. Uh, or or is it like, damn, I love mobile suits. I love being a pilot, and this is a sick beauty. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think. Well, I, I think it ultimately doesn't matter though. You're right. Like, yeah. I, I think no matter what, he's he's talking about the same. Like, I think you're right. I think he's ultimately. He is appreciating, like, uh oh. <laughs> but I do think that um, no matter what, what it means is that he's appreciating. Like, I know that that Chris doesn't own the Alex; that the Alex is the property of the Federation. But for the purposes of us, the audience, and the show, it's her Gundam. Would it's her? It's and like it doesn't do anything until she's piloting it. It's her he's talking about right now. You know, I really like that. Actually, that's a good read. Yeah. I, g- I give you a hundred heights. <laughs> yes. <laughs> We're, yeah. Well, that was a question. Uh, I you know full disclosure. I watched this with my with my partner at home, and and uh, she had concerns also. Do about- I do I get any any cues? As well, <laughs> I mean, so that's obviously jumping ahead. Of course, you know, in episode four, they first mention we'll do the spectacle alert right now. Beep beep. The, uh, <laughs> yeah. the the first thing I think it's in in this episode they mention uh, heights for the first time when they're doing the uh, maybe the tool purchase or something. And then I know in the bar scene in episode five, so that's that's way ahead. Right, we, we hear that there is a a sub denomination which is which is Kules, heights Kules. and Kules. Uh, I've you know Charm. I, recently I have finished up a, a, a my own personal rewatch of Zeta Gundam after Mobile Suit Gundam and I've looked at some of these other uh, OVAs this currency thing never comes up I know I know the names of currencies is a very funny subject in uh, in JRPGs it seems like and apparently now also yeah, I mean, give me my double dollars. Uh, uh, give, give me my money. Money. Kingdom M- Hearts is M- money. Yeah. Is the Mo-nies. best and funniest. Yeah. <laughs> M-U-N-N-Y. Right. Hilarious. Uh, my, my Gela, my Gil, my... Uh, uh, we already said Zenny, right? Yeah, yeah Zenny was right. the first. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, no. I mean, uh, to me, this is... You know, anytime you have a... Uh, like a specific term for something mundane like currency, or I, I the one I think of is uh, to to coin a term. Uh, yeah, it's, 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 Jesus, you could you could a door slam in the back yeah. as I head to my car. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, it's like um, units of measurement. Mm-hmm. I, I, Gears has a hilarious like uh, 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 <laughs> Carl's or something. Like yeah, no, I thought it was like Arges or Carlons or something. Yeah. <laughs> that has been lost in yeah, no, time that's, that's for me. It's very good. Um, uh, not to move away from this, yes. I, I do like this bit, um, but I think we should talk about the moment in class where uh, Al is uh, drawing a Zakutu again, something we saw him do in the in the first episode, uh, and his friends confront him about like, hey, why are you drawing a bad guy mech? And we and we learn here that Al doesn't really get it. Like he doesn't really understand the war at all. Uh, he doesn't understand who the Zeon and Federation forces are. Really, he knows the names, but he doesn't really know what they're fighting for. Or, like that, that that it's it's shocking to me to learn here at episode four that he doesn't he like that part's not important to him at all. Uh, what did you guys think about that? Telcott has a very sick burn. Only scum like scum. Ooh, damn, he's got him. No, that's, he's, uh, I mean, listen. 
I'm, I'm yeah, I'm right there with him. I, like Talcott, like you know, Talcott and Chalm are. Talcott would do pretty good on Twitter in the year of 2019. I was gonna say, like you know, as much as they're, they really are like, like you know, we'll we'll talk about them again. But uh, he's right, like you know, it, it, the well, he's right too. But I also think that you have to look at those kids through the sort of license, uh, not, not license, but the window of being children, because the whole totally. reason they. And they're still excited about the performance of war. I mean, we'll get to the ending, but even at this right moment right now, they're sort of parroting the things that they're told to parrot. Yeah, and, right. And they're it's it's so mechanical. They're not really understanding. I mean, in this case, they're right that of course Zion is bad, space fascist, awful. But that we don't know that Che and Telcott understand. <laughs> The reason why they belong why in a tails in this. No, you're right. No, you're totally right. That's a really good point, actually. That you're, that you, Telcott is probably repeating something that he's just heard. Right. Like, tell- we, we don't know that Telcott actually picked out that sick shirt. He could just be dressed by his mother. <laughs> Al only has the that one airplane shirt. shirt. Yeah, that's it. That's it. It's a good one. I I respect it. But commodifying war. Am I right? It's I, a bomber. I, uh, yeah. I think you're. I think that the that we have seen through uh, Che and uh, Talcott's previous acts, you know, actions as characters, that you're probably right that they don't they don't have enough of the insight, the wisdom to really know what they're saying there, or just saying what their parents probably said. Right. It's almost more like they're they're they are vehicles for the delivery of a wider sentiment to Al that right. Al must confront. Right. Mm-hmm. That that yeah. I, Al doesn't see it that way. I mean. One of the things that's interesting about it is that because of Al's experience, he's he's really learning about war in a better, I mean, you know, not for him himself, like the the person, but he's he is going to know by after episode six, I'll tell you what, he's going to know something about war that he did not know by episode one. I'll tell you what. Uh, from there, we check in on uh, Cyclops Squad, I think, right? Right, and, uh, yeah. So we get we get into one of the things that's really interesting. We're going to touch in a lot here in episode four, and I think it's going to take up a bit of our discussion. Is the extent to which Cyclops Squad, even though especially Steiner knows how dire their situation is, they are still dotting eyes and crossing T's when the rookie does something reckless. They still admonish and correct him. Well, I think what's especially interesting about um, the the Garcia's actions there is that they're they are immediately immediately juxtaposed against uh, the scene where uh, Bernie is taking out the the body armor, and it's revealed that Bernie doesn't he's never worn body armor before, and and it, it Garcia is forced in that moment to empathize with with Bernie in a way that he has not yet, and actually it, it brings about a character moment in Garcia that. You know, in the first episode, I talked about how Garcia and uh, uh, I want to call him Mishka, but that's not his name. Misha. 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 Um, Mikhail. We talked about, I talked about, I said the phrase that they would, they would stab the shit out of a little kid. And like, you know, maybe I spoke too soon. You know, Garcia is is capable of, of seeing Bernie as not only like a person, but a fellow soldier. And like a, a soldier, like he, he, the way he phrases it is like, you're the only one who is a lower rank than me. And I, I don't want someone who I can give orders to, to get hurt, but that's his way of going like, Hey man, GL, we used to say when we played Dota, good luck, have fun, don't die. And that's more or less, that's Garcia's last words to, I mean, spoilers, I guess his last words to Bernie is good luck, have fun, don't die. <laughs> uh, I thought it was interesting. It's not 
Cyclops Squad in general act like, and I said this in the first episode of the podcast, they they don't act like Xeon soldiers we've typically been introduced to. Speaking of cool final words, I don't want to jump ahead, but I did highlight this. So, in the dub, when they are preparing for their battle... I made notes about this, too, all right. I think. Misha says, to victory, life, or death, which is an all right statement. Yeah. The subtitle, though, to we who are about to die... Die, yep. Perfect. I was, I was going to make a comment about that also. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think now, you know, honestly, in terms of our organization of discussion of this episode, we can probably touch on most of the Cyclops squad stuff now. Of yeah. course, you know, in, in the middle of the episode, there is more, uh, you know, spy shit that Garcia and Misha are doing. But then we get some of these sequences towards the end where <laughs> Steiner hang, hangs out at the barkeep and they sort of more discuss this lore dump and how poorly things are going and how Steiner is, you know, very consciously, explicitly aware of, of the state of his team. So, you know, I, I guess, what do we take from that? And, you know, as far as the, the prosecution of war, like what, you know, these guys, they're, they're doing the thing, even though they know that the higher ups don't care about them. Right. What do we take away from that? So I think inevitably in, in the machine of war, uh, you're going to have dudes and or people rather in the position of steiner and charlie who are you know for lack of a better term like managing in the middle middle managers yeah, yeah exactly yeah. um they and, know no other life when i look at the characters we don't get too much backstory i can't imagine even steiner having a family well and you know in, in situations like that there's a certain amount you have to dedicate as far as your 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 personal stakes uh to the thing that you're doing um and when it comes to something that is you know nihilistic like like war can be i think that sometimes the you know uh the loyalty the 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 no the the notions are are what supersede the reality i think and when you're as far in as steiner and charlie and garcia and mikhail have been like i can see them even though they they're like Steiner knows they're not going to win. Charlie's like, you should, you should just bail. You and your boys should just fucking bail. And Steiner's like, mm, nah. I don't read yeah. them as zealots either. No, yeah, no, certainly not. Well, that's what I mean. They're they're in many ways they're they're not stand-ins as archetypes of Zeon soldiers. Right. They are archetypes of soldiers, mercenary esque almost. Pay me, I do the job. Well, I just think there's a certain uh, even less than mercenary. There's a certain like like loyalty to militarism more than like some ideal that that contains militarism, and it's just like. We are soldiers. This was our mission. Yeah, almost We're, like a way of life. Like how uh, Metal Gear Solid, for example, talks about soldiers. I, I think that, Haven. that's a very fair... The way that Big Boss talks about the just that being a soldier is this noble thing, you know, I think that is what yeah. Steiner and Cyclops Squad are showing. And I think that's... I, I you know we can talk about this when we I can should we talk about their their operation here should we just move into I want to touch on two things real quick sure one if I'm a local hardware owner yes. I, I own a yes. hardware shop sure. what I'm trying to say you work at Ace Hardware a, and it's wartime yeah I'm in a space colony uh huh there are, you know there's metal there's only a small degree of metal protecting me from space yeah someone Not comes in yeah buys some things all right uh huh. And then says, this would be, an, gleefully says that these materials would be enough to destroy a colony wall or poke a hole in that wall. <laughs> yeah. That would set off some alarm bells and I would contact authority. There's a scene later on, too. But I just want to criticize him. 
Yeah. The, I mean, the, the small business owner yeah. here. So, as far as the, the the front half of episode four, and episode four, I think, is the most jam-packed episode we're dealing with here. And, yeah. The other, the other thing to touch on are the continued developed relationships between Bernie and Al, and then also Bernie and Chris. I think we already mentioned the moment. This is the, the high watermark the, of their relationship, yeah, Bernie the, and Yeah, the first name when, you know, when, when Bernie is like, all right, well, I can't just break into Al's house, actually. That didn't go well for me the first time. Let me dump him off with, with Chris, and you get that moment. And also, of course, right before that moment in the car, you get the the spilling of Al's stuff, and Bernie sees the notebook, the tablet with uh, all the drawings, and he sees how, how, how Al views the members of Cyclops' team, and particularly how Al positions himself next to Bernie. Right. Uh, you know, and I think, of course, that that moment is literally replayed. Uh, I think later on, mm-hmm. and just you know, emphasizes how how much this relationship has deepened. Right. Yeah. Certainly. Yeah. It it it, it brings home to Bernie that Al is sincere about all this in a way that I, I don't know if Bernie. You know, I think Bernie is genuinely a nice person. Uh, but I don't think at this point Bernie has realized to himself yet how much he does like Al, and it's not just a, a thing that yeah. he does just to spend time, basically. But yeah, I mean, uh, there's there's something to say. I, I don't know how much it, this is supposed to be a, uh, if only something as pointless as war weren't happening, then Chris and Bernie would be friends or even more than friends, possibly. Like, yes, I, you know, there's a Romeo and Juliet esque sort of thing going on about the pointlessness of like because that's the thing about the conflict like we the greater audience who are familiar with Gundam know that that Zeon the yeah. principality of Zeon are the aggressors and Federation of Earth is largely just kind of on Earth like just wants to be on Earth and Zeon just doing their thing all over space but like it's it's telling that War in the Pocket never uh, never takes the time to tell us because it's not important for War in the Pocket Right, I, I, you know, being a show set in the One Year War setting, we can say that it assumes a bit about its audience. Right, yeah, and so because of that, it, it emphasizes like, you know, Bernie and Chris clearly get along, if not for this very obvious truth about the two of them, which is that they're soldiers on opposite sides. Um, you know, and that, of course, it's building to tragedy, and it's building to, you know, uh the the sorts of like al being this this again i you know not to talk about this again but this weird object of intimacy between the two of them mm-hmm. it's it's it all leading for sure especially that very tender moment leads directly into like the 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 action of episode four which is like probably other than episode six the most action we get yeah right? so you know now we can move into i think the back half of episode four real quick do you want to mention charlie Charlie was an interesting character. As we don't, we could fill in the blanks, mm-hmm. but uh, as a barkeep spy, I'm assuming he is a he's a Zeon loyalist to some degree. I'm not sure if he knows a lot. But I think what's you know, and, and so maybe this is the reason I didn't jump in right too much on Charlie because I feel like the most interesting Charlie moments are in Episode Five, mm-hmm. where Charlie really doubles down on. He's like, well, you know, I'm a Zeon spy, but. I'm not going to leave this colony. Yeah, I it's live, not like yeah. I'm going to leave here to go fight for Zeon elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Well, that, that's sort of like, you know, in the first episode of the podcast, I asked about the demographics of the Principality of Zeon. And, and part of the reason I was asking about that is because I, as far as I know, you know, even in, in another Gundam series, the the 
uh, Oz have like specific ideals and morals and sorts of. I, as far as I know, Zeon doesn't. I think there's just this belief about their royal family and you know rulership and in the the rights of people in space versus yeah. the rights of people on on the Earth. Um, so I don't know. Like I don't know why this guy would be. You know, we don't know. We don't know if just Zeon's just paying him a lot. Like, cause, cause that's what it could be. Like, he, he comes off as someone kindly. He comes off as someone like with with wisdom and and you know, not as someone. He doesn't have the signifiers of someone who we would be judgmental of. You yeah. know, he is a, he is a nicer, older gentleman who you know in episode five we'll get there, but is giving what he thinks is like constructive advice to Bernie. But we ultimately we don't know who the fuck this dude is. <laughs> like yeah. he, he's probably far- a former soldier. He probably fought with Garcia sometime somewhere. I mean, just looking at the context of his actions, he's fucking he's he's selling the colony out. Like he, yeah. you know, this is not a real like you know. Right. I mean, he knows that this this warship is coming, and he is not you know attempting to alert authorities. You know, whether that's to avoid self incrimination or whatever. Well, obviously, there's a lot of you know text discussion of how and who could tell the authorities about the impending disaster between, you know, Bernie and Al uh, that we that we get to later. Well, even if if our story wasn't about Al and Bernie and all that stuff, if our, if if you know, there was this like macro story about this neutral colony that Federation and Zion were both both had a relationship with and at some point someone on the inside allowed the colony to get blown up. That person on the inside is bad, <laughs> right? And exactly. that would be Charlie. We, yeah, no, we would we would safely hold that person accountable. Uh, you know, look, it's not it's nice that you told this one boy to to get lost, right? But you actually could have helped all of the rest of the people on the colony. Well, you know, um, leading into the operation, um, let's talk about uh, uh, the mech that Cyclops Squad put together for this operation for the distraction in the city, the Comfer. I'm probably not saying that right, but there's an accent above the A. It is a wonderful color. That blue color uh, keeps coming up. Um, it is. Uh, it almost looks like a, like a Klein blue. Uh, I don't know colors very well. I'm sure some graphic designer can tell me that that's not Klein blue, you idiot. Uh, but it's reminiscent. It has a lot of the same sort of very, very sharp knife, but not underwater sort of look that the... Um, what was the first? The Hygog? Is that the yes. one we yeah, talked yeah, about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What did you guys think of the Comfer? I like the design a lot. Yeah, I, I enjoyed the design uh, tremendously. And in similar to the Hygogs from the beginning, it had a very deliberate way of moving and, and certainly showcased uh, Misha as a pilot. I think the, the thing that probably jumped out to me the most was how cool the explosive whip weapon was. I mm-hmm. thought that was probably the neatest thing but uh oh the mine whip thing yeah oh yes. yeah i really I, I thought that was very very dope uh i think at this point i kind of you know brushed past the part where he quickly dispatches a lot of the the local forces and the forces from the gray phantom right Scarlet team yeah because i i think i i sort of like all right well this is just what we saw in antarctica like i i've seen this play before you know, you, I get it. He handedly takes down Scar Team. It, mm. it, it's it's rough, actually. It, it's one of those things where um, also he's got a mech shotgun. I don't know if that's the uh, that's the first time I can think of 
as far as like visually representing a mech shotgun. I, I, you know, games. I think this happens more right. often. Yeah, front mission definitely. Yeah, my wanzers were stuck, yeah, stacked yeah. with the shotguns. I experienced some wanzer lust here. <laughs> wanzer lust. Um, uh, yeah, I, I, you know, it's it's one of those sorts of. It, it strikes me like someone was sketching a Zaku two and like. Like you know, in the same way that Wing Zero Custom from Gundam Wing seems like a like the same mech, but with uh, uh, let's call them accents. Uh, yes. the, the comp for yeah, it has its DNA in the Zaku design, right? Yeah. Oh, totally. I mean, you know that that's something that that that's great about uh, the mech design in the One Year War is that you, you see a lot of like iterations. You mm-hmm. know, like yeah. the you know the the Alex even is is only. Only a little bit iterated on the original Gundam, and and you know we'll we'll talk about the Alex in a sec. Um, uh, the let's talk about the the revelation that Bernie is Australian. Uh, it, so here, let me ask you guys this. <laughs> uh, obviously, in the dub, uh, they don't attempt to replicate a an Australian accent. Do you think the implication is that in and out and also there is some wait wait, wait. doesn't David. When you mean they don't try to they, do an they Australian accent? Oh, so, I should be clear. In the dub, does he try to do an Australian yes. accent? Yes. Yeah, he does. Oh, see, I didn't know. So, uh, full disclosure, okay. I did not watch the dub of episode four and episode six. Oh, okay. Um, okay. So, those two I did not. Yeah, see, no, off no, mic, so, I discussed this with you. This right. is what I was saying. Okay, I misunderstood you then. <laughs> that's, that's my fault. Uh, um, but, yeah, no. So, so very yeah, David Hayter very, very clearly tries to do a when that guard first talks to him oh, he's no. like oh i can't yeah. even do it myself oh, that's why i'm not even gonna oh try. yeah mate you know <laughs> it's sydney looks great when the snow's all around the ground no. you know he does it like <laughs> it's really it's really incredible and and uh oh, it's no. yeah it's brutal and, and of course we you know i would be you know this is going to be harder probably for you to pick up does it sound like the actor is trying to do any sort of accent. Well, that's the thing. No, I watched it both. I didn't pick up on the okay. Japanese dub. Like whenever there's a, and that's this is what I was going to ask. Yeah. It was was whenever this happens in in a sub piece because, you know, unless the person is from America, in which case they'll speak English, um and and every once in a while you'll get like a word in another language sort of thing to indicate that person. But, you know, typically they're just like, yeah, I'm from XYZ. Mm-hmm. And and I assume that's how they played it in the dub too. Like I was going to ask like is there I like this this assumption that uh, you know this sort of firefly esque assumption that these these accents and languages are just gonna like meld, but I guess not. I guess no, the dub I mean, language. I, I think harder than any any dub I've ever watched. War in the Pocket goes in super hard on oh yeah doing accents totally. Yeah. And I won't say respectfully. There's a certain exaggeration. I mean, sure, the, the dub's sure. kind of old at this point, but yeah. it's not offense. I, I don't read it as offensive to be honest. Garcia can get a bit exaggerated at times. Garcia's characterization is a bit, you know, exaggerated. Same with Misha. He's, you know, drinking vodka, presumably. Probably, yeah. yeah. I mean, actually, Misha's is the most exaggerated, I think. Yeah, and and the spaceship captain in episode five also. (laughs) Von Helsing? Yeah, Yeah, Von Helsing. Von Helsing's accent is Real quick, though, this conversation is so tone deaf, just in the context of the world. So we have the Federation soldier. He lightly lightly questions Bernie. And he asks him, are you from Australia? All right, now this... At yeah, first, it was like, oh, it's, Bobby. it's alluding to Operation British. Just a little lore drop here. It's the, a year before this. Right. All right. The mission involved dropping a colony on Jabro. All right. Am I pronouncing that right? Look, I having just watched the uh, 
Mobile Suit Gundam and Zeta Gundam dubs. I can I've tell journeyed you, there before. Well, right. I've been on. I I went there in White Castle. That you <laughs> that there are so many different pronunciations, especially too, because sometimes in subs they will represent it as J A B R O W, like Jabrow or Jabro. Yeah, I've always pronounced um, it Jabro. I've always said I just like to put the extra syllable in there. I always say Jabro, Journey Jabro, because that's just how I, I phonetically see it. But I mean, I, they say Jaburo a lot too in the dub. <laughs> yeah. So you know, I, I'm probably just gonna say Jabro. Yeah. Um, and pro- probably like real slur that middle syllable. So some, if, if you were confused, maybe you would think I was saying Jabro. Yeah, Jabro. Yeah. Uh, it, there is no, there is no clear cut answer as far as I'm concerned. If if you think there's a clear cut answer, you know, either you're like the current manager at Right Stuff <laughs> or you're a nerd. Yeah. Um, all right, so they uh, Jabro, all right, Federation base, the like big Jabro. base in South America. Yes. All right, so the feds intercept, but unfortunately, parts of the space colony land not only in Australia, but directly on Sydney, eviscerating the population, destroying the city. It is such a, it's so weird that they would even, this conversation is way too casual. It's like 1948 talking about Nagasaki or Hiroshima. It's just such a weird conversation to have so lightly. I, I agree. I, I, I think that there's a, a sort of... I almost wonder if that was like the intent. Like I can see... So um, recently uh, I was in, in, in a situation where there was a, a an older war film on. Uh, I don't remember the name off the top of my head. It was a Clint Eastwood directed war film uh and recent it, film old film oh i want to say 2000s do you remember there was a thing where oh was it um yes he it released was two flags movies. or fathers yes that's the letters one. from iwo jima is a good film uh letters from iwo jima i have not seen uh, i've seen this one bit for flags of our, uh, of our fathers where truman is uh uh meeting with uh a soldier and he's a native american soldier and he refers to him in a sort of obviously sort of tone depth way of mm. like you know you're the most american of all of us which right right we're right you know uh, is it, it, like yes <laughs> but you know that sort of tone deafness though is what it came off to me as but i there's also part of me that wonders if, if they just forgot like they just forgot that it seems like such a big detail because I I feel like Sydney's they'll the talk only about one the Antarctic Treaty out. right after this yeah right That's in the next point. episode right and I mean is we've discussed in the in the first uh, War in the Pocket pod that this is is this the first OVA of those OVAs yes okay so of course Star- it's really the first OVA, right Gundam OVA Stardust 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 Jabra. It's Jabra memory. Yes, Jabra memory. <laughs> Stardust memory uh, very, very much goes out of its way in the first two episodes to show the crater yeah. that is Sydney. Uh, Not so, only is it summer in Australia, but it's also a smoking. It just seems really right. odd. No, I, I agree. I, I was actually when I was watching it, rewatching it again. I had to do some fact checking because I, I, I can't remember when the colony was dropped. This right. is the beginning, right? Operation British is the beginning. Yeah. No, I, I, when I was rewatching it for this, I very much was like, "Wait a second, does he get caught on the on the stupid seasonal thing, or, or is he getting caught because of the mistake about 
Sydney is destroyed. Yeah, it's. I mean, it really. Uh, honestly, it should have been Sydney is destroyed, and not the seasonal thing. Because the seasonal thing, right. I don't know if I would like. If yeah. I was that soldier, I don't know if yeah. I'd catch you know, that necessarily. Right. I'm, <laughs> like, you know, almost Christmas means it wasn't Christmas, yeah. right? Like, that, what are you talking about? Like, isn't it? Isn't there I, something more important here than like whether there's? Snow I imagine the this right. nameless guy. He's pa- in the minutes that pass. He's yeah. pacing up and down. He's going. It's not winter in Australia. It's not winter Australia. <laughs> yeah. And, like, Dan, what's wrong? It's not winter in Australia. I also think it's really interesting that the winter in Australia thing becomes the tip-off that the guy is a spy. Because can you, can you imagine, like, maybe you work at the Federation base and you really just, like, you know, you want to forget your old life. You don't want to tell someone about your past. And right. some guy's, like, trying to chat you up. Like, right. you just arrived at the base a week ago. And then you just, like, lie that you're from somewhere do you get thrown in the brig for being a spy? Well, those guns come out real quick. Right, based those, on those guns come out summer. real quick. Well, that was what I was going to say. You know, I don't, I don't, not to get too far down this rabbit hole, but like I could completely see myself in in a situation where someone's asking me details that I, I wasn't ready to share, just kind of saying shit, just saying saying whatever, just to get through the conversation. And it would be so funny if that's really all it took. Yeah, you're, you're not actually Australian. You lied. We're, you're in the firing yeah, line Yeah, we, we're, <laughs> we're shooting at you yeah. now. I'm sorry, yeah. so we're going to have to escort you to space. Right, yeah, uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, it's a space prison. Um, I, it is, I, I don't have it noted down here. Does anyone know? It, it was a Cyclops squad who, who, who sh- fired first, right? That, that. Yeah. So, that, yeah. so what happens? I made a, I made a, a, a body count for that scene. Cause oh, I was, gosh. uh, I was very concerned. Uh, important, uh, body count, important note on a visual thing. I really, really loved the, uh, scene where they were doing the juxtaposition of, uh, shaking of hands between the professor and Al oh, we straight into the gripping of the knife. I think it was Garcia oh, yeah. driving the knife into one of the soldiers as they are infiltrating. Uh, to answer your question about what happens is that after Steiner and Bernie are being sort of searched for things and they discover the, the Xeon weapons in the box, uh, Garcia has already separated from them. So Steiner tips his toe twice on the floor uh, to signal to Garcia, like, look, we just we just got to take go. him out. Just yeah. take, take him out, and then Garcia pretty much uh, murders a ton of people. Yeah. Before we get into, because uh, obviously these things are happening concurrently, can, we should talk about what uh, uh, Al is doing during this, uh, which is uh, visiting the same facility, which it turns out is supposed to be a hospital that that works on prosthetics. Yes. Um. Uh. uh robot prosthetics. Um, and he meets with a man whose name uh, is Dick, uh, surname. Yes. Uh, uh, Lamumba, I think. Yes, I uh, think that's right. A, uh, which, you know, is notable on a couple grounds. Uh, we, the, the figure of the mech scientist is a recurring one. We, no, you yeah. know, we won't see, it's not in every series that we'll see like the, the, the Dr. Light, so to speak, who, who built the mechs. Um, but uh, they come in a, either, I would say, mad scientist flavor or, like, doomed prophet flavor, right? Like, th- those are the two that we usually get. It's it's either, like, you know, the guy who created the Devil Gundam and G Gundam, uh, you know, and, and in our first episode, we talked about Osama Tezuka's Astro Boy. Mm-hmm. Um, Osama Tezuka's Astro Boy... The has both of these characters the the doomed prophet mad scientist who is the 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 man who adopts Astro 
Um, and the the man who actually built Astro, who was is very much like the mad scientist scientist, who you know uh, is the like driving force of everything that happens in Astro Boy. Anyway, Dick, you know, is talking to Al about the work that he does on robotics, and Al asks him about mobile suits, and and Dick has this line uh, he where he talks about how mobile suits are not in the sub. Oh, I yeah. should say mobile suits are not built. Are necessary evil and not built to bring joy. Yeah. Um, and I almost wonder if this is this is something that, I, as as I remember, is like somewhat flirted with in other mech shows. Like I think other mech shows do bring this up as like, isn't this a fucked up thing? But they spend the rest of their visual storytelling for sure being like. No, it's, it's rad as hell. Yeah, they, they relish in the <laughs> visual splendor of dope-ass mechs. Right, and you know what? I, I, I'm not here to be like, that's fucking bad. Yeah, we people, have a mech podcast. People, Right, people who do this are dumb and bad. But, but it is notable that Dick is saying it, and he means it, and the show agrees. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and when and as he's having this conversation with Al, we will cut to... The, the operation and we've obviously we've jumped ahead a little yeah bit we already covered a lot of that uh, one last note about about Dick uh, did Dick steal uh, Charles Xavier's wheelchair <laughs> oh I'm very curious about that okay actually that, that right. image actually I'm not sure the signifiers there what they're entirely supposed to be like I, I think that there is a certain like lived inness we're supposed to take from that like mm-hmm. this he's done he's either done some stuff or he's he's ha- he's lived a certain life because of this wheelchair do you know what i'm saying not to say that he was been in the wheelchair his whole life or that we know he's had a health condition or we know that a bullet grazed his spine or something like that the point is that it tells us something about a, a certain acquired wisdom that he must have yeah to work in this field you have to sacrifice something in right. this case he sacrifices legs or you're right you know not to say we will never know it's not he is not in any way like a, a character that the show is interested in telling us more about he is a, a figure who is communicating a specific wisdom to al yeah specifically in a lot of shows i find that there's a specific character who is the mouthpiece of either the writer or the showrunner sure and that happens he, a lot yeah and i would especially i think he was it yeah i think um i think m night Shyamalan actually doesn't know how to do it without <laughs> doing that midnight Shyamalan. yeah, yeah. Midnight Run Shyamalan. Yeah. yeah I, I think that is like a core, you know, for better or for worse. Sometimes it's great and sometimes it's Lady in the Water. Yeah. Um, so getting into the uh, the combat scene, I think uh, let's maybe cover any th- questions we have about the, the foot fighting, the, uh, the, the hand-to-hand fighting. The main thing I wanted to point out there was uh, Steiner makes a deliberate decision to throw a weapon to Bernie first. And that basically that decision, I don't know, you know, who knows, right, if he still gets shot, whether or not he throws that weapon first. But certainly he leaves, he's leaving himself in a vulnerable position for a more extended period of time by choosing to throw a shotgun to Bernie first. Bernie's able to defend himself because he has a weapon, right. whereas Steiner, you know, gets shot. Uh, that was, I thought, you know, kind of a continued neat, touch because of what we already discussed that even when all this is just the most dire of dire the uh steiner's still looking out for bernie yeah i I think steiner more than any particular sort of interest he has in bernie is like uh the leader of cyclops squad and will act accordingly i think that was just the thing that the leader of cyclops squad was supposed to do in that moment and so he did yeah he's a by the books commander Uh, it's it's like a uh 
We, uh, tropes are, are something we'll talk about. Uh, tropes and signifiers are something we'll talk about a lot. Tropes are not bad. Uh, the trope that he's he's really that by the bookness that you're talking about that sort like sort of stoic commander thing. The, the I, I call it the captain of the uh, Eldridge thing. Uh, it just in that moment is his guiding light because otherwise there's nothing else, right? Like it, it, where is he going to go after this, right? What is he going to go do? You know, it, it's it's one of those Open things. Open up a bar and spy on the feds probably. I, I mean, yeah, right? Like that, that's honestly not a bad point. Um, but I do think that when you are a soldier for as long as probably he was and after he lost Andy... Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just like, just like the Pee Wee Herman adventure movie. Right. You've got a friend in me. Um, he. I just think that the, there's a certain amount of time you spend living that life where uh, the the idea of looking ahead becomes impossible, right? Because you're too used to moment by moment. I, I there. I won't have to worry about it anymore because I'm, yeah. I'm dead now. Let's talk about uh, the violence. Mm-hmm. Uh, not specifically. Obviously, there's violence because of battle, and you know we've seen uh, y- y- you know some shanking happening, but it gets grisly. Yeah, like they they really go from Scarlet know- Team is aptly named. <laughs> well, you know, in in other like, and you'll have to remind me because I haven't seen the original Gundam series in a while. Um, some shit goes down in the original Gundam series. We see a woman take a, a bazooka to the head. But even then, it's represented in a way that I would say is like like seventies violence. It's more Saturday morning than this. Well, right. Well, because like you you know you'll see like in the case of that particular shot, you, you'll see like head matter disintegrating, but not in any detail. Like it's just the suggestion of there was once a head here and now it is gone. And here, uh, you know, the blood is not. It just droops to the floor. Yeah, it's, there's nothing glorious or stylized it, about it. It's really. bad. Yeah. It's it's bad in that way. It's it's that real harsh violence where uh, people just stop in a way that is upsetting, uh, and it's really well done. Well done in the way that it is effective, not in the. It's, it's accomplishing what it wants to. Right. It is not titillating. It is the opposite. And the same thing can be said i think also about the colony at large uh you know there's a lot of collateral damage that gets shown off uh, it's quantified as well in the next episode yeah when, when, the, when the scarlet team uh you know drops down and you see the the, you know, the woman kind of fade to white as the as the, the broken mech destroyed also right. you get to see the school very very particularly uh takes damage yeah, 246 people dead, 572 people wounded. We rarely get death tolls on right. Gun- in they, Gundam. They made a point uh, in episode five with, through that detective, who, who we'll get to. Um, yeah, it's even on the closing of this episode, right, too. It's the next right. episode preview. Yeah, uh, and so I think one other comment that I want to get, and this is something that came up to me again because I am doing uh, rewatches of other Gundam shows on my own, is that it's a very common trope in the Gundam shows for... Uh, a pilot that we're following to have a beam rifle or some other kind of weapon that has a finite amount of ammo and that they'll maybe destroy one or two uh, henchmen before moving on to the main enemy pilot and at that time usually they'll be out of energy out of ammo and they chuck the weapon away sure pull out the melee weapon get ready to go in uh misha is following this script he is doing the thing he has destroyed all these other lower enemies and now the gundam's here and he shredded off the gundam's armor and he's about to go in he pulls out his weapon 
and he just gets cut down. He, he just gets bopped. Yeah, yeah. just well, gets. And I, I really liked that. That was almost not not. Uh, we've already been directly repudiating the, the organization of war, and now we have like singled out the Gundam series. Be like, I see you too, Gundam series. I, well, I think that's a good point, especially because I I believe that the moment where the mind whip uh, uh, destroys. The, the armor is a moment where in a, in a tra- this is a common uh, action show trope where there is a, a great attack and the attack has kicked up a whole lot of dust right and whoever has landed that attack prematurely celebrates usually Dragon Ball is especially guilty of this this is a common gu- Dragon Ball thing and it's interesting to point out that that the the perspective has swapped the framing has swapped that typically, because you're right, it is that exact. It's him. He's got the the shotgun, and he's just bopping GMs and whatever the, the hell they're called, uh, gun cannons, whatever the hell they're called. And uh, by the time he gets to the Alex, the Alex is, you know, powerful and able to fend him off eventually afterwards. But that moment where the mines hit him and it explodes is a normally like a bad like oh no uh, or an oh yes the vi- the villain has been defeated and then the guns. The way that the hand cannon destroys... I mean, it's not a hand cannon, but you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, destroys the comfort is uh, very upsetting in a way that is... It's um, it's visceral. Well, it's it's visceral and more... It's it's like mundane, right? I, I like think, honestly, the, what it reminded me of a lot was uh, this, the way in, sometimes when you're watching maybe like a monster movie or something and you, you unload into this ferocious monster that just keeps trying to lurch towards you. And I got some whispers of that as, as well. Well, what I think is interesting is that because the thing to, uh, that struck me there is that like we, the audience... Are as much as we like Alex, or as much as we like Chris, and we don't want bad things to happen to Chris. Like we, we're we, the audience are on the perspective of of Mishka. Like you know, we like at this point, it depends on who you are, obviously, and your feelings. But like, this is a conflict where we don't really want anyone to win or lose, right? Like, I like the notion; it's very domestic too, because it kind of breaks the any fantasy you had about warfare because it's so sudden and abrupt when the guns come out. It's like the scene in Raiders, for example, with the sword and the gun. Right, it's a like less comedy version. Well, because yeah. that's what I was going to say is that when when the gun is just tearing through the camper and like guns in Gundam, fu- like funnily enough, when it comes to like mundane bullets metal bullets being ejected through a thing are are usually not the powerful weapons right like usually those aren't like you know those are the lower level like the gun cannons and stuff are not big time mechs that you're concerned about when they show up they're no big zam or whatever so for a gun you know a weapon that we the audience know is a terrifying one of of destructive power to be the one that that ends is i think a specific choice because like you know typically guns guns don't mean like they're the vulcan guns on top like they don't mean shit they pepper off you know whatever so that struck me and like there's a there's an inevitability like when the gun starts shooting the music cuts it doesn't show us what happens to mishka we just see his misha sorry uh we just see his drink canister and that that's the like the bullet hole in it is, I assume, analogous to what whatever happened to Misha. Yep, like yep. the the show is very particular. Like when it shows us what happens to the Federation soldiers who get gunned down, those are with regular ass bullets. 
not Gundam sized bullets, you know? Um, and there's, it all culminates in, you know, I don't want to steal this for anyone who wants to get to it, but it all culminates in the moment where, um, Bernie has right, Steiner. The, yep. And, and he has gotten them away enough. And Steiner is like, did, did we do it? And Bernie's like, yeah, totally. We yep, fucking crushed 100%. it. Yep, 100%. A plus, like, gold star. Welcome to the first grade. Steiner's like, you're full of shit. Yeah. <laughs> like, you suck at lying. And then dies. Right, no. Uh-huh. Which is honestly... You should have said, I, this time of year it's summer in Australia. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Like, I feel like I feel like that's almost replaced like fox die as like the thing the thing to say when you're going out. Yeah. Instead of saying fox die, you would say you suck at lying. You, you're yeah. bad at lying and then <laughs> die. Um, and we we get a wonderful wonderful end shot of uh, Bernie and Steiner in the foreground and the it, it almost like previously off mic we were talking about Godzilla almost like Godzilla in the background. Uh, yeah. Alex standing over them like like a demon. You know, like just this this presence that uh, necessary evil is that what? Uh, yeah, necessary Obama said? evil is a good way of putting it. Uh, it. Although you know, from our framing, because we've spent the more, more time with Cyclops Squad, like this was a loss as far as we're concerned, yeah. the audience. Like even if you're not like obviously, I'm not voting for. I don't want Zion to win. I, I like Cyclops Squad. I don't particularly like Xeon. Yeah. And, for, you know, to be honest, I, I don't even particularly love Cyclops Squad that much. Bernie is all right. Um, and Garcia seems like he's, I don't know, Garcia seems like he's a real shithead, <laughs> but was decent in that one moment. <laughs> and, you know, that's that's the real statement in many ways is that people are nuanced. Like, that's really the main, a lot of, one of uh, uh, War in the Pockets trying to convey. Do you think then you want to, but before we move on to uh, episode five, did we want to do uh, our the? Uh, oh, I have a sick game. All right. Yeah. So, no, I, I think uh, I think Mr. Stephen Hero had a suggestion. So, uh, in reacting to the name Gray Phantom, I thought about video game code names that companies give consoles before release. Now we know a few of them, of course. You guys know what a dolphin. You know what the dolphin is. You probably sure. know what the Revolution is. Maybe Cafe Katana. But I have some others. All right. I have. Four questions, all right? The winner of this will get 400 heights, which you can use to buy your own bar. Our own trip to, uh, what was it called, Francesca? I was going to say, maybe I can oh, get... that's even better. Maybe yeah. I can finally get that super body sensation cabinet that I've been wanting to buy. <laughs> oh, welcome you, yeah. you to can, Francesca. <laughs> you can use it to validate your parking at the Federation base, which is what uh, Misha does earlier. So four four questions. You ident- So you get one point each, okay. all right? You and Ignis. One is, of course, the console code name. The other one will also be the, uh, and some will be pretty obvious. And then one is, of course, one of the Pegasus class starships. Is starships the correct terminology there? Sure. Yeah, I'll, I'll accept it. <laughs> you also get another point if you could A, identify the, the Gundam cuts are deep cuts. Really? Except for one. Some of them might even know where they're from. Just one of Tomino's novels, maybe. All right. Oh, boy. So, actually, no, two of them you should be able to get. So, if you could tell me. Uh, the show or property it comes from, and if you could correctly identify the game console. Oh boy! Okay, they, I, I will say they, I will lose this game. They oh, are no, all man. consoles that you are familiar with. Okay. Um, some of you have owned. Oh, okay. Yeah, so they're right. not that. They're not too deep. It's not like the Odyssey two here. All right, all right. I'm ready. I'm game. I'm... All right. First question. My lots on the line. Four hundred hides. Heights. <laughs> not hides. Wait, David Height. No, no. Okay. Don't worry. About all right. It. White base or Jupiter. This is obvious. Well, 
Uh, the so white... which is the Pegasus class starship? Well, white base. White all right, white base. Yeah. All right. So, so that's one for Ignis, because he nodded at me first. Okay. All right. All right. Well, Can speed? you identify? All right. All right. Well, well, I didn't realize. Uh, trilogy, do, I need, ident- do I need a buzzer here? <laughs> I- identify for me uh, what property it comes from. Well, white base comes from Mobile Secunda. All right. There we go. Yeah. Okay. One, one. All right. Pick up here. Citra or Thoroughbred? Well, 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 hold on. Before we move on. Yeah. What, was, what, was Jupiter a, a, a prototype? What, what oh, console so that was the Jupiter? Yeah. Sega Saturn. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. Yeah, all right. Yeah, oh, yeah. Saturn. Saturn. Sure, sure, sure. Sure, sure, All right. This is... I'll say this. This is okay. a, a console that you... A console that you... i say a system that you both own. Okay. okay. Uh, Citra or Thoroughbred? Oh. I, I want to say Citra is the console... And All right. Thoroughbred is the Pegasus class ship. That is true. Okay, okay. nice, nice, nice. I would have guessed the opposite. Seriously, was thinking the opposite. No, because I, I think. Care uh, to guess what a uh, system? Uh, Citra. Well, if it's something we we both owned, I that the I walked back console. That's a hint. Oh, Game Boy Advance. No. Oh, the walk back. Console? Well, I I walked it back. I said con- console, and I was like, I'll say system. Console implying something you play on your TV. It's not oh. the Nintendo DS, is it? It's not the DS. You're close, though. The 3DS it's is the 3DS. Oh, oh okay. Yeah, my, well, because in my yeah, memory, that makes sense. Yeah. In, in my memory, Nintendo names all of their console stuff. There's like a theme for like their handhelds right, and for yeah. the like. There's a red theme going on for some of their stuff. Mm. Is thur- thoroughbred is that like uh, <laughs> is that like orphans or something? Or this is from a novel, Tomino uh, Tomino's novel. Um, sure. It was just Mobile Suit Gundam too. Okay. Oh, okay. Classic that that is. Classic, yeah. No. I'm sure Sunrise will get around to right. mining that sometime. Eventually. Sure. All right, All right. Question number three. Albion or Atlantis? Oh, well, Albion is the, the white cl- is the white base. Yeah. Well, that's, uh, isn't that Stardust oh, Memory? Really? Yeah, it's Stardust Memory. Yeah. That's, oh, the only right. yeah. that's the one that's cheating for me. Yeah, oh. I just watched that. And then what was, what was the other name? The- Atlantis. 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 It's another console. Uh, Is that one we've... I don't think we've owned that one. That smells like a... Mm, I think both of you at one point have owned this. Maybe still own it. Um, GameCube. Not GameCube. No, GameCube is Dolphin, right? Is GameCube Dolphin? That's right. GameCube is Dolphin. Um, uh, was it the? It wasn't the original Wii because that was the revolution. How about uh, how, maybe the Xbox? It's a Nintendo system. Oh, uh, it's a Nintendo. The Wii system. U was the Atlantis. It's not the Wii U. That was Cafe. Cafe. Wait, I think. Are you so sure? The original Wii was called the Atlantis. No, 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 uh, no, no. That's Revolution. I yeah. think yeah. Cafe was Wii U, right? Or am I getting the mind? I, I don't know. know. Man, I, I, don't know. I didn't research that for this. Okay. So, because well, the reason I ask is because trilogy. Not to, to I've peek ne- behind I've the never curtain. Never owned the N64, so it can't be that. GBA. GBA, oh, GBA was Atlantis? Mm-hmm. Right, the Game Boy Atlantis. Oh. Right, no. I love lost. that. I'm yeah. calling it the no, Game, Boy Game Boy Atlantis, Atlantis from now I, on. I agree. Yeah. Right. Well, the peek behind the curtain, I, yeah. I got lost because uh, Trilogy just hasn't owned that many Nintendo consoles. So Yeah, like, it's kind of been a historical thing that Nintendo console ownership is a severe fluke for me when it does happen. Right. So, um, so with that, I, I, I have one more. Oh. One more. Yeah, go. one more, one more. Stallion or Mars? Oh. Oh, shit. Um, oh, I'm gonna say okay. I'm gonna I'll put I'm gonna, myself out I'm there. gonna be consistent. I'm gonna say Stallions the ship and Mars is the console. Yes. Okay. Oh, damn it. See, I, yeah. it's a good thing you don't, went first. Don't horse around. All right. Well, because <laughs> I I would have said the opposite literally because yeah. I was like I I'm I'm gonna go against the current of mm. the trends and say that the horse one is the console, but I would have been wrong. I couldn't find out what Gundam property this came from. Probably one of the novels. Okay. Uh, Mars, those the Sega 32X. Oh. 
weird. Oh, deep cut. But. So they keep. So Sega has a planet thing. Okay, mm-hmm. sure, sure, right, sure, sure. Right, Whatever, right. Sega. And that's my game. You have 400 heights to there do with go. what you will. All right. Would you say that Sega has a solar system? <laughs> Jesus. No, they wish they did. They wanted to. Mm. That's what they wanted. So uh, I guess that's a good point for us to move directly into episode yes, five. Yes, sir. Uh, the say it ain't so. Bernie. <laughs> <laughs> Like, I'm, I'm glad Steven Hero freed us all from that vegetable prison of the. Uh, who is who is that? Who sings that song? Weezer. I is think? it Weezer? Is it Weezer? I don't know, so, man. Yeah, one time there was a uh, in the very first version of Rock Band, there was a glitch where if you went to endless set list, it would just repeat the same three songs for whatever <laughs> reason, right. and you could fix it by just restarting the console. It was the simplest thing in the world. But my friends and I just ended up playing uh, Say It Ain't So, yeah. Creep by Radiohead, yeah, Creep, yep. and the um, the Bon Jovi song about Wanted Dead or Alive on a Steel Horse I Ride. Oh, that one? Yeah, those are the three songs. And like those three songs are seared into my memory right. because we just kept playing them in rock band over and over and over. Um, and, you know, it's like, of course. But I mean, everything, you, right, everything with Say It Ain't So Bernie is, uh, you know, perfect 2020 hindsight. Yes. Hey, yes. Nice. That was, not, that was not a coded message. Again, thank you for freeing us from our vegetable prison. Um, Moving on. In the wake of their failure, Bernie and Al attempt to pick up the pieces and plan for the future. Um, we learn at the beginning, so the operations and a failure. Right. We learn also that the operation is called Operation Rubicon, which is interesting historically. Not that interesting. Right. Yeah. But, you know, Rubicon, it's Caesar crossing the Rubicon. Yeah. Right. He was a victorious in no that return. Civil War. Something Yakta Est. Alia. Well, Yakta Est. Yeah, that's right. He said, hey, hey, Senate at Rome, fuck off. Classic Caesar. That's, yeah, that's, that was Classic in the book. Caesar. That was in the book when you read. Uh, when I uh, translated Gallic Wars, <laughs> yeah, that was my, uh, those were my favorite Wars. passages. Yeah. That's right. Listen, it's not that far off. You, no, you, I know. You, you've read some Ovid stuff. It's not that far off. Anyway. All right, so the Operation of Paleon Failure, uh, Colonel Killing, aptly named, That's decides right. to take matters into his own hands and to deploy a nuclear warhead. This goes from zero to 60 like that. Right. Well, so how did we, we've had, we've, you know, just discussed the Xeon leadership and how it, it generally doesn't care for the, the, the rank and file for the Xeon soldiers. This is a bit much, right? Well, actually, if you think about it historically, though, for example, at the end of World War II, Hitler initiated what he called Operation Scorched Earth, which is basically destroy all German infrastructure so the Allies can't make use of it. Sure. So there are parallels in history. I thought that, too, though. What's what's the point? Like, well, from our minds, we say, what's the point? Well, so, I mean, because, you know, I like that point of view, though, that you brought up, because uh, what I'm talking about is largely from a storytelling point of view. Like, what we have here is a situation where... Uh, like this is Commander Killing and and his orders to uh, von Helsing is is in a lot of ways is a lot of ways like like a natural disaster, right? Like obviously there's someone who is responsible for it. Who who is this Killing gentleman? Um, <laughs> that sounds like a Venture Brothers quote. Well, Commander Killing is is a Venture Brothers character, yeah. as far as I'm concerned. Um, but we'll never learn. And and it's not that important that we learn like why Commander Killing thought this escalation was necessary. Um, I mean, we can get from signifiers that he's probably just a, just a shitty evil person. Um, even even uh, Helsing, you know, <laughs> <laughs> like I don't blame you, man. I, even Helsing is like 
uh, uh, you know, I'm not going to do his, I'm not going to do his fucking accent. He's like, uh, are you sure? Do you, do you think, do you think this is the, the way to go here? And I want to be in the, in the writer's room. With, if there, there's not really a writer's room, but what's going through the... You oh, mean yeah. like a director? Like, like the hel- hel- He's just nodding, Helsing, yes. yes. Well, because that's what I mean. I, I imagine that the director w- handed whoever was doing the voice acting for Helsing the notes, like, here's your character, your name is fucking Von Helsing. <laughs> and the actor was like, okay, I know what I'm doing. <laughs> I've got this. I know what I'm doing. Um, but, uh, you know, we, we see Commander Killing walk up to that first subordinate guy. Yeah, he's unnamed. But we do get a lore drop, the Antarctic Treaty, which he gets around, he says, he's, he's he has some backing for the legality of this uh, maneuver. He says, well, side six never ratified. As he, you know, he's probably not concerned about being a war criminal. He already is one. Right. But he's, you know, this is in the lore. So after Operation British failed, mm-hmm. all right, this was, I don't know, you would call it an intergalactic treaty. It is just a space treaty. Sure. And it bans nuclear, biological, and chemical weapons. And dropping space colonies is a no-no. Right. I mean, you know, it's a good... Uh, that's a good treaty. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's well, especially because you know it's something that's that's difficult to really. I think there's a lot of science fiction that deals with this idea that that when you have uh, military might that exists within space, you know, one of the things that's just true physics wise is that all you really need to do to deal a lot of damage to an area is to just to force an object large enough into the gravity of the planet, and an, a large enough object will just obliterate the atmosphere will just you know it could also change the climate so it could have been winter in australia We're, oh, see this is what i mean that soldier who pulled the gun was maybe just just actually you know what Pro- scientifically speaking if that's the term i want to use consider after the asteroid how much dust that kicks up Th- into the that's air what I'm saying. the sun so yeah. you know bernie was right maybe bernie was right and that guy anyway <laughs> Look, the the only truth about what would be going on in Australia at that time is that there there were, were no rules and they had to do it just right. Yeah, just right. That's right. In the outback. Anyway, um. that's that's <laughs> beer. It is. I'm, no, my, my Australia pop culture references no, were reduced that one Simpsons. That was episode. not an Australian not a, pop culture <laughs> reference. That was a that is a reference to the marketing slogan of the Outback Steakhouse chain uh, restaurant. That's right. No rules, just right. No rules, just right. Uh, I took these notes at an Outback. All right. <laughs> I'm so sorry, everyone. Um, we so, are highly cultured here. Thank that's you. right. Oh, I actually had another title for instead of saying "Ain't So Bernie." Uh, this would be like, and it's always sunny title. Uh, killing goes on a killing. So we open with uh, the immediate aftermath, which includes Chris dealing with the authority figure. You know, the authorities have actually, mm, like, also of course, Misha's uh, bloody chair. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, that's weird because we get to see Chris even react to that. And Chris gets a moment where she's just obviously affected, but keeps walking. Yeah. Right. You know, like it's it, uh, you know, it's similar to how Bernie it, when, you know, they shoot the 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 his uh, co-pilot, the, the corpse that they put next to him. And Bernie also reacts. Uh, obviously, you know, it, it's a dramatic, awful thing to happen in front of you. Um and Chris is forced to emotionally deal with the consequences of their combat. Uh, you know, this 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 authority figure. I have a note here, by the way, before we get into the serious stuff. Uh, uh, what's Griffin McElroy doing in the police force here? 
because uh, the the man in glasses in the background uh, who I, I don't remember what he chimes in with he has something to say about like well, why did you fight in the city like it, it was like <laughs> oh Che looks just like Patrick Klepek so <laughs> oh no <laughs> anyway um, the the detective uh, who is aggressive with Chris I I you know we don't we this character disappears after the scene. Uh, I got a lot of sincerity out of him. I, I don't know. So did I. I usually don't feel sincerity for cop figures. A little light sexism on his part, though. Oh, for sure. And, and the cops in this show are depicted to be morons most of the time. Well, so it's interesting, you know, before, you know, to top, to jump onto your cop's comment, like, you know, we're, we're Americans, we're, we record this in America, and so our, our view of police comes from that lens, and cops in Japan are different. Like, it's, yeah. it's just inherently going to be a different... Uh, uh, we'll see that when we get to Pat Labor, for example. Right, it's going to be a different. You know, there's different history. Like, let's. I don't want to get into that. You know, let me take out my bag of snakes again. You know, yeah. uh, let me get the snakes all over the table. But in this case, in this context, we're talking purely about officials who are concerned with the law and and upholding the law. And you know, it, it that I I think you know when he's giving his his spiel when he's talking about. You know, 246 dead, 500 wounded. Um, you know, I don't want that number to get bigger. I believe him. I, oh, I believe here. that he's trying to get to the bottom of this situation and not just... Because in, in other... like in a, You know, not to say that this is something that a Japanese media thing wouldn't do, but in American media, this figure would be someone who is not willing to entertain the logical reasons why a thing happened and to an extent this detective isn't like this detective isn't listening to the the logic of like you know if we did nothing it would have been worse you know um because the re and and he correctly points out the reality is that number 246 dead 500 wounded like it doesn't it doesn't matter if it if, if in some other universe it would have been worse like and, this is what we're dealing with now and he knows exactly what's up he questions chris he goes I know, he, I know what you guys are doing. The feds aren't actively... They're building new tech, right? right? They're not just storing it here, right? Before any treaty has been ratified, which has endangered the lives of clearly hundreds. Right. He's not wrong. That's the main thing about this, is that he's, he's not wrong. Um, and there, that's something that, that Chris has... Chris does some of her own thinking in this episode in a way that, that we really see Al or Bernie doing in this episode. Uh, I have my next note, not just this, uh, in all caps. It just says... Dead kid. <laughs> yeah, no, so going from there, I think, you know, some of the stuff that comes up here in terms of Chris's thinking we're going to revisit shortly, uh, but certainly we get to see Alfred, uh, uh, you know, being forced to confront the consequences of the battle in the previous episode, um, and also, you know, we as the audience confronting the consequences of that sick, awesome mech battle, right? which is that, you know, we see a, uh, you know, a, a bloody dead child pulled from the wreckage of a house. Right, yeah. Uh, it and it's it's something that we get to see uh, Al uh, compute in real time. Uh, he it's something that he's not in this episode. He, there's a couple moments where he's forced to like really figure out how he feels about this thing that he previously thought was cool and fun. And he's still like, like by the end of this episode, his feelings towards positive feelings towards war have entirely boiled down to his relationship with Bernie. Um, and like, as the realities of war continue to introduce themselves to him in, in ways like this, like the, the, the bloody kid corpse, uh, it, it starts to 
we see the relationship disintegrate in this episode while when the realities start to test it. So the next scene we get, which is rather important, so we go back to Charlie. Charlie is surprisingly well informed of Killing's intentions. All right, so we learn that if the Gundam isn't confirmed captured by Christmas night, Killing will send an armada to deliver a nuke to the colony. Uh, Charlie pointedly urges him to run, Bernie, to run, escape immediately. We also learn Steiner's first name. It's Hardy. I have nothing to do with that. Sure. Yeah, but there you go. And then next scene, uh, Al drops off some fast food to Bernie. Yeah, so what, Donald's? So I think we already touched on this in the first pod, but as a specific note, the fact that the woods are so substantial in colonies as to allow someone to hide out in them. It's amazing that this is not monitored. Yeah, like, I, they know, haven't found the Zaku that was dropped down into the forest. Blows my mind. Well, the thing with the with the Zaku is, I think they mentioned that the Zaku's weapons are removed. But of course, oh, that's true. They a, did find, but, it, yeah. but you know, a mobile suit that could be fixed with spare parts is that you know I, the suggestion is is that the colony is simply ill-equipped to clean this up. That's that's the conclusion we came to. Um, so that's why I, I don't know, so much want to get on that. Just the idea that. Uh, the substantiality of the woods being that large and unmonitored, uh, do you feel like that is a, is a sort of little bit of world building in terms of the amount of natural materials required to sustain a colony population? Or is that just, yeah, we need somewhere for Bernie to hide out and like there's not going to be like ruins. It's not, we're not going to do the industrial thing like we do in, in Stardust Memory or mm. something. That's interesting, too, because when I was watching it, you could hear birds, for example. Uh, they mention Al's uh, dubious relationship with frogs. So there is wildlife on... Exactly. There is wildlife on this colony. Put, so, put the world's biggest pin in that. Yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll get be there. We'll right back there. Yeah, don't worry about that. <laughs> the world's biggest pin. Um, I, I think, to me, it came off as the latter doing the former. I, I just think there needed to be a place... Yeah. Yeah. But we see in other shows, too, that there are forests and colonies. Sure. For sure. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm not trying to give take away credit or yeah, something yeah. like that or to suggest, like, oh, it's this, uh, uh, you know, contrivance. And right. And, and this structure of colony is very popular. I mean, the, the Xenobianders one colony is exactly a Gundam colony. It's right. the shape of the colonies. I would like to do a more in-depth dive on this. Uh, Princeton Professor, I believe, it's from, I'm pulling this from a 99% visible episode, but... The Dyson Sphere, I believe. Oh, yeah, yeah, Dyson Sphere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. And the Gundam is clearly influenced by it. Sure. And yeah, I have yeah. Those sorts of that. large space structures, Dyson Spheres, uh, yeah. the ring, powered. From, you know, Larry Niven shows up in Halo. Of yeah. course, uh, yeah. You know, those sorts of big space Larry structures Niven are a popular thing. Who I was thinking of also. Uh, don't yeah. read that book though. No, ring, don't. Don't read that book. Don't read. Larry Just play Niven. Halo. It's better. <laughs> Wow, it's hot. we got some science fiction. Hot I, I don't care. That, that don't read that book. No, Larry Niven. I have I no agree. intention. Yeah. I don't even know. Who Ringworld is not. Ringworld has that bit of science fiction, which is very cool. But don't read it. Uh, but do enjoy perhaps the conversation between Alan Bernie. Which oh is man, Wait, I have something important. to talk about oh, this. Okay. All right, <laughs> I'm Al here. Yes, I'm going to go okay. straight to the police, and they'd execute you. Really, they'd execute him. <laughs> Come on, oh, Bernie. You mean so if you're Al, yeah, well, you'd be is, like, yeah. so what? They're gonna ex- like what? They're gonna put me against the wall? Like what? What are you? <laughs> like, you're gonna learn no, today. You're 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 not wrong that Bernie's suggestion is like infantile. Is is it's like you know? Wait, is that well? Maybe that's how the Zion police operate. We don't know, right? Well, the, you know, that's a good point. That's Honestly, true, true. that's that's not a terrible point. And I like, I I think that there's wait, like, you're saying Colonel Killing's bad. <laughs> 
Well, like I guess I guess what Bernie's saying is like, you know, what Al did would would amount to treason and I don't really know what what kind of you know how treason would actually be litigated. Do you know it's what I mean? Tre- I mean, if you want to go by the books though, that treaty isn't ratified either. Right. I mean, right. So it's I think what what in that moment I think it's a good way thing to call out because I also had the same reaction. Of like, oh. I have it all caps. Really? <laughs> they would not execute this. Kid. I woke up at 4 a.m. to no. take notes on this episode. And this Bernie, put yourself together. <laughs> yeah, like, it's just absurd. Um, yeah, I mean, I really liked Bernie's, you know, full disclosure. I did. I was able to watch this one dubbed. So uh, I liked Bernie's speech about luck. Yeah, uh, I, that was good. I, I think that Bernie's speech about luck is one of those moments in a in a piece of a body of work where one of the like main ideas is is stated explicitly you know it's like you know when you're a soldier uh you, you, when your luck runs out you die like that's that's all there is to it it's it, to to bernie at that moment um yeah. and, and that's his truth in this moment is like you know we're i'm not a soldier i i've n- not an ace i wasn't one kill for being an ace like what are you talking about it's not a thing um you know, the, the, and we, you and your family need to get out. I think it's interesting that Bernie is, you know, because Bernie could have just fucking bailed, just out, out skis, you know, should have just jumped right over to Francesca. Um, right. I mean, we'll, we'll get to that in the. Uh, yeah, in, I have, an, I have one more thing, lore thing to say about that. But uh, there's a great scene afterwards where, and this scene really worked for me. Al begins processing, mentally processing the, what a nuclear detonation would look like the sheer it's really good. devastation of a nuclear detonation which right. I really like and it was a nice quiet moment as well in the, in the images of, of the arcade and the violence going yeah. on there and you know kind of seeing you know the very much like what Shane and Talcott do that these people are sort of reveling in these images and then we also get to see maybe my favorite arcade machine label ever uh, which doc- I already alluded oh, yeah, to yeah. the super body sensation <laughs> arcade machine <laughs> Uh, I can only hope that someday I okay. Here, here's a. I'm going here, to Japan over the summer. I'll here, let you know. Here's a game question for you: Who, what, what well-known Japanese video game company publishes a game called Super Body Sensation? Sega, definitely. Sega. Because uh, what's the uh, the D, this DS game, the Touch game? You don't with mean the, the bunnies. You don't mean Center and Kakura, do you? No, 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 no. No, no, no it's no, not no, as uh, skeevy no, as yeah. that. It's a Sega published and developed game. It's. Oh, okay. uh, I don't know. We'll conclude it in our fictitious right, show notes. Right. Uh, well, so uh, you know, um, I, I would have guessed. What are we? So what are we talking here? This is like '88 when this comes out, right? Yes, I think right. Yeah. yeah. So time. this would be. It would definitely be a Konami joint, right? Because because Konami was was at this point just everything. They yeah. were Just shooting everything out into arcades at this point. Yeah. So like. You know, I can see like a Yu Suzuki machine, that large, you know, very immersive uh, arcade piece of arcade super tech. Body sensation, yeah, super body yeah. sensation. <laughs> That's the tagline for Shenmue Three. Yeah. Um. So I think I, you know, it's fun. Uh, before Al get got to the arcade, I have a note here in regards to how he's treating the situation of of you know Bernie revealing that that his forces are going to nuke the colony if they don't find the Gundam. Uh, Al is thinking about, and he's like, oh. Well, then we'll just find the Gundam and blow it up, right? And I was thinking about it like it's a game yeah. objective, right? Like mm-hmm. it's it's like, oh, okay, so we'll just you're a soldier. I'm. I thought about this being a. I thought about the game mechanics behind it. it. Actually, reminded me of Mega Man Legends when you are looking for parts on the island and you only have so many places to go to. Because they talk about the weapons cache, for example, right. later on the getting the weapons. I I agree. It it does come off like a. A game mission. Yeah, it's, it's like gamified use, almost. You're limited resources. You have to use your wits. Well, I I think that that's something that they're because it, it's 
you know, maybe we should save this for episode six. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, Al is learning in that nuke sequence. Al is learning the really, really, really hard way what empathy is and feels like and and how you use it. And, you know, it's I you feel for him. You do, because it, it, it's tough what he's going through. But he is also not making it easy for himself. Like he's really putting it's it's interesting how much pressure he's putting on Bernie for suicide, which is what yeah. we're talking about, right, essentially. Right, exactly. So, now we get from there, from the Al and Bernie conversation to Al's experiencing uh, things on his own, and then we get to uh, a brief moment where, where Chris, I think, kind of continues what she was doing at the beginning of episode five, where she's seeing wreckage, uh, and then we get into a conversation between Chris and Al, where I think Chris provides uh, the... A sentiment that Bernie develops independently on his own, which is this uh, decision to to fight to not be alone. Right. I this is one of those like Warren the Pocket does this so good because uh, or does this so well. Um, Chris is talking about one thing, and Al's talking about <laughs> like thirty way other things but they both get what they need out of this conversation in a way that is really interesting and like there's this this element of tragedy in the middle of it because like the thing that they help each other do is unmake each other right get, get, <laughs> like, get set on a collision course it was a really good speech I didn't have any notes on it because I thought it was just brilliantly delivered yeah Chris is good yeah. Chris Chris is one of the best parts of this OVA like and, and and one of the unfortunate things is we don't spend a lot of time with her but like every time we do spend time with her I'm like yes where's the show about Chris and then afterwards we get Bernie in those shades he clearly went to the Shar school of espionage because those shades are large it, he's definitely got um a real good uh uh, big boss, sort of. Uh, uh, what are those? What are those classes called that people get hacked and and try to sell Ray Bans? Ray Bans. Yes. Yes. Ray-Bans. yes. Yes. He looks so infantile, like we were talking before in that scene, because he's he's basically there. I know it's not juice, but he has his shades on inside. Oh yeah, and he's, he's sipping his juice. Well, so it's funny. My 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 partner who I was watching this stuff with made a comment about his big dorky glasses inside, yeah. but they immediately show him. In a, a room with another man with glasses inside. I'm like, oh, okay, so I guess this is just what you do. Yeah. <laughs> like, Maybe it's Space Colony etiquette. Um, I can I can also, if if forced to nerd wank this, I, I could also see <laughs> uh, a, a world where um, uh, starlight in space is, is maybe perhaps harmful in the same way that looking at screens for a long time. Like, yeah, I could you have no that. ozone layer. I'm sure that the glass, whatever that is, is reflecting some of it, but that's true too. But that's what I'm saying. Like I could see a world where I'm sure that's not what's going on here unnecessarily. Just sometimes yeah. you want to put your characters in a different looks just to have different models, you know? Uh, so he's here at this station. He has no goal. He's just trying to get the fuck out. I am shocked that the colonial apparatus did not shut down travel after the incident. Wouldn't you shut it down? I would shut I it down. I don't think so. I well, think, after there was a major attack. Yeah, you know. but the war is almost over, right? You're getting things are almost done. This is winding down. I don't think you you want. I mean, I think you are vigilant for for people traveling. There, there could but, t- potentially be Zion soldiers still on the base. Yeah. I would at least shut it down for a day or two. But I feel like the scale of 
you know, because that's one of the things I think the we keep getting built for us in the world here is the scale of the population of a colony. But the scale is so much bigger than that is just true. the people that we're dealing with. And so I think, you know, this isn't just like a single airport. This is like, we're going to shut down every airport in the Northeast United States, mm-hmm. you know? I, I think there's a sort of different scale to what to what you're doing. Uh, yeah, I I I think you're right. Um, but I, what you said also what they you poked said Stephen, a hole in the colony, right? That that seems like that to me is the touchy part where it's like, ooh, like that really the whole colony could have crumpled in on itself. Yeah. So, but, I mean, Scarlet Team was destroyed. The I, Ace Team, Scarlet. Well, team. those are Federation soldiers. Colony doesn't <laughs> care about that. Um, but I do think I think trilogy that your your point is correct that that the, it, it's just a bigger scale than we're really like being forced to deal with. But that's logical to me. What Steven said also. Um, they have payphones too. That's something else they noted. In the future, there are still payphones. Oh, well, of course, there are payphones in the future. It's just like there's still tube TVs in the future, <laughs> right? Um, so Bernie. He he sees an ad for Francesca. It, well, he says an ad for well welcome, Francesca. <laughs> yeah uh, did you, did you guys look at that ad? Like you know, I don't want to like pick on uh, the animation or design of sort of what are really incidental characters. They're right. listening, so watch out. Uh, <laughs> but the uh, that that man uh, is having some difficulty. Yeah, the man is having some trouble with. In the picture. Yeah, I don't know what's going on. He's, he's having trouble. He's a little off model. That man. yeah, yeah. He's he may not be human. Is is I had this question. Is Francesca the same planet as in Star Trek? There is a planet called Risa. Which is the sex planet? That's uh, what I thought. Is, is Francesca that planet? Because we later, well, we, the drunk lady says that Francesca's awful. Well, but, she, <laughs> but, but she, okay, one drunk lady is going through some shit right yeah, now. I want to support drunk lady. I also want to support drunk lady, but the shit, the specific shit that drunk lady is going through, strikes me <laughs> as. The type of shit where you wouldn't want to go to Sex Planet. The Sex Planet <laughs> wouldn't be very much fun. No, Doug, but, don't go to the Sex Planet. <laughs> you can't. <laughs> You're going to string her along with your Sex Planet lies, aren't you? <laughs> what, what a crazy situation that woman is in. Could you imagine like, the Xeon Brass, though, talking about, so what do we do with the sex column? <laughs> so, yeah, what do we do with Francesca? You mean the Sex Planet inside Six? Um... <laughs> Anyway, oh, and this is the moment where we get a confirmation uh, that because we return to Al um, and Al's home, and we get confirmation that uh, Al's parents were separated. Yeah, um, this is something that we we talked about in the first part. Um, and Stephen J. Jad is about to make his triumphant return. Yeah, Stephen J. Jad is returning um, at the worst possible moment. To, this is part of the tragedy of the news. Is is, is Al is is. You know, constantly thinking about what it would mean to be nuked. You know, like we we t- we discussed earlier that Al doesn't have a real good idea of what the war is about, and you know, this is it, it, the war in the context that he can compute, which is like, oh, we all die. <laughs> um, one scene I wanted to touch on real quick, uh, just because I think it has my favorite Che moment, is that che. Um, classic Che before classic Che before the uh, the Bernie at the bar bit. We do get the bit where uh, Al attempts to run into the ruins of the school building. That's yeah. right. And we, I, 
apparently at the same time, uh, Che and Telcott were also trying to do the same thing. Kind of funny to me that they're still you know doing the same things in some ways. Right. And then the other thing is that we get the scene where Che and Telcott had been collecting sort of the, the refuse of war. Casings the, the bullet stuff. casings, yeah. And, uh, and you get this scene where you're, you're having this sort of emotional turmoil and breakdown that Al's experiencing. And you get the, in like, Al starts laughing as sort of like just like a loss of, of being able to keep a grip on things. Right. And Shay's like, that's right. Laugh. It is it's funny. funny. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, ah. Uh. That, that uh, prefigures his ending comments at the right. end of the show. It does really give this impression of Che as this like almost like Harley Quinn figure who's like trying to ease Al into madness a little bit. <laughs> like it does, like it comes off as a line where they just needed to have something match lip flat that that Chalm had in that scene. <laughs> but um there's that's right laugh it's funny <laughs> it really is it does come off as maniacal it does come off as sinister i agree <laughs> next scene is great because surprisingly uh zeon the zeon higher-ups task colonel von helsing with uh, delivering the nuclear warhead to the colony right yeah uh, he has an especially fascist uh, accent in the dub it's true oh it's yeah true. he's he's <laughs> Like a 1940s American-made war film. It's right. really even that wouldn't be as like it's really more like um, he he talks like a GI Joe like yeah. you know like a Cobra operative. That's true. Really. Um, and I, I guess that takes us to the last moment takes of episode us, five, yeah. right? Where um, Bernie has you know previously and we we kind of glossed over it, but Bernie and Al had a fight over the Whack Donalds, and Bernie you know, insisted he's going to leave and that Al should too. And Al thinks they should try and be heroes, uh, just for one day. And, uh, at this moment, Bernie calls Al and he says, Hey man, I'm sorry about what I said. We are friends and I, I care about you and we're going to do this thing. And now, and you know, Al's like, I love you, Bernie. And it's this Bernie's, moment. Then he's like, Oh, I'm in too deep. Well, well, Bernie, I don't, I think that moment where Bernie's like, Oh, what you little, little punk, little, little fucker. I think that moment is one of Bernie, like, like sort of acknowledging that Al doesn't get what this call was, which is the, like, I'm going to die. Like, you know, I have agreed to come die. And obviously that's not what Bernie wants to happen, but like, let's, let, you know, let's, let's be frank about what the plan is. The, the, the plan is to take Azaku to uh, a one with, with jank ass shit inside of it because they need to give some parts and some weapons into it. To fight the brand spanking new mech that is a, a newer version of the mech that has been single handedly winning the war, uh, you know, and, and with a pilot who has no experience and no real skill, uh, and and a little kid, it's it is a hopeless, stupid, you know. Plan. Those are some anime ass odds, mm. but but you know exactly i mean and so there's an adventure to be had here there's always an adventure to be had in an underdog story which which brings us to i think episode yeah, sadly no game for episode five yeah sadly no game for episode five episode six war, war in, the in the pocket, pocket. So at the end of the episode, the the, uh, the pieces come together. They begin their very extensive planning montage, and they again they plan for the future and they plan for the ultimate showdown between the Zaku Two and the Alex Gundam. Right. I liked the prep because while watching this, I was uh, polishing off uh, Valkyra Chronicles. So I was, you know, I've got my tactic mind on. Okay. Right. All right. How much CP is there? How much AP? How can I maximize my odds here? 
I mean, I, the plan was uh, solid. Yeah, no, the plan, they did the best they could. And I think it really, what's good about how solid the planning is and how sort of entertaining it is, is that it really emotionally pulls us back into this headspace of adventure is fun and we're going to succeed. Yeah. Uh, and I think it does a really good, great job of that. Uh, one thing I wanted to pull off into was uh, we had mentioned before, you know, discussions of, of cops and interactions with them. Uh-huh. Um, what is your feeling about, first off, Al's incredible stone-cold gambit to wreck the Federation Jeep to give Bernie time oh, to fuck get away yeah. the trailer? Yeah. yeah. And then the... I realize that for, like, the purpose of the story rolling forward, there's, no, like, no further interaction from those Federation soldiers, but, like, damn, I'm, you know, I want that trailer, and I want that kid, because if, if Al was ever an accomplice to anything, I mean, obviously, handling over the intelligence about the, the photos and whatnot, because the most... They will execute thing. him. But this number... <laughs> <laughs> distracting, yeah, distracting Federation soldiers so a Zeon soldier can get away with it with a you know a pile of grenades and a heat hawk is uh, you know is a pretty big thing. I I think you're right that that is a line that he's stepped over. That that even the moment where he's taking pictures of the Gundam to give to the Zeon soldiers, you can make an argument that that it is there's as a child who is not necessarily like all up to speed on what the specifics of what he's doing are. Uh, but this moment is him. Like, yes, you know, I am I am in this military action. Like, I am mindfully engaging in this. Like, like Bernie didn't come up with this plan. I was like, hey, why don't I manipulate the shit out of these adults with these methods that I know will work because I'm a little bit of a sociopath. It's, uh, yeah, that's in my notes, too. It's a burn notice level plan. Yeah. This, this is like a little episode of burn notice. Here. Well, I think the other thing about the plan that's important to note besides its odds of success is that it directly contradicts the Cyclops team's first plan. Right. Yeah. Whereas Misha ran through the city, Bernie is intentionally going into the woods and now we could say that you know just from a purely strategic perspective, the city plan didn't work for Misha, and then also because the Zaku wants to get up close, then maybe the hills are a better. I mean, they mentioned this during the fight that for whatever that the Alex has the advantage on open ground. Yeah. Uh, has so, smoke canisters as well to provide cover. Right. So, you know, I, I think, you know, he's obviously making the best use of what he's being given, Bernie. But I also think just from a sort of moral collateral damage perspective that it is also noteworthy that it contradicts the Cyclops team plan. I think the uh, item in quite or the thing in question when it comes to the, the plan of destroying the Alex are those arm cannons. I believe that in the open ground scenario, the arm cannons are... A much bigger threat than they would be up if if they were up close. I believe that's the logic there. Uh, it seems to be the logic of the fight once it starts. That's a good plan. Um, yeah, no, I, I think I think I agree with that. If I, if I had to speculate on why that the, they go about the ways that the, the people in the military situation say the things that they do, it would be likely around the strength of the hand cannon, right? I it, it should be noted that this montage and this um, uh, Home Alone trap sequence that they that they set up <laughs> Operation Skyfall basically uh, it well is is set to the um, intro song uh, it is it's yes which you know this intro song is is a kind of different take on the sort of intro songs we would typically get in a show like this but uh, this is a, another signifier of the like this is the climbing towards the final action mm-hmm. right. And this is the moment where we're supposed to be emotionally aligned with our characters and their goals. You know, Bernie and Al putting together the Zaku 2, and we see moments where, you know, they're doing 
maintenance and they're you know he lifted up on the hand of the zaku two. Can, um, can we still feel like emotionally and morally aligned with al after his confession about all the things that he's done okay so so we need to talk about so yeah. uh in the night before christmas and all through the house the, uh, the thick dads were thicker than ever. Yeah, that's that's correct. The, <laughs> the, man, the man got a scar. Hitting all my notes here. Thick, thick dads. Thick is dads. Al a psychopath? Yeah, his, yeah. Well, so well, let's talk about Al because what? Okay, so in on the night before they're, they're, the operation is to take place, Al, uh, Al is praying to the Christmas tree as we all do here in America. <laughs> um, Real uh, quick, it's it's interesting to know Japan's relationship with Christmas, especially in the post-war era. It's yeah. A, if again, I'm putting on my <laughs> weeb hat here. Right in Japan, it's a they basically took the secular trappings of Christmas and uh, stitched it onto their calendar. Sure, it is there no? There's no unless you're Christian. Uh, there's no religious connotation in Japan. It's largely, as it's explained to me, it's definitely a holiday associated with children, which makes it very appropriate for war in the pocket. Yeah, and lovers. Yeah, and lovers as well, and the chocolates. Yeah, yeah, uh, and KFC. KFC. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, he does... Okay, I will say, I was joking, praying to the Christmas tree, he does name God. Uh, at least, this is another one I watched in the subs, and, they, you know, he says Kamisama, and, and I think that's just supposed to be the stand-in for Judeo-Christian, capital G, sure, God. Sure, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, and he's like, you know, I, I want Bernie to live, uh, you know, if I, I won't play any more pranks. And one of the things he names is, I will not kill frogs for fun. Yeah. So I double checked because I was watching uh, the Japanese audio first. And I was like, hmm, "Let me check the dub." They up oh, now; it's still there. Yeah. So or, let, or also puts like lizards into people's desks. Yeah. He's so that that's I that to me falls under rambunctious child. Yeah. I'll I'll take that for like dipping ponytails into inkwells. That's like some schoolboy rambunctious shit. Yeah. Totally fine. Um, the harming animal. Okay, we should. We should preface, obviously, there's going to be some, like, cultural differences all the time when we talk about a show that's that was made in Japan. There are different expectations for childhood and all that fun stuff. Whatever. So, I knew about bug collecting. Bugs, that's what I was going to say. I knew that, that, that there was less, like, like... In, in, there was less skeevishness involved when it comes to like like they will just take a bug and stick it on needle and he put specifically it in there. uses the word torturing I believe in the dub he well, tortures fr- so he's aware of it too which well, adds the psychopathic element. well that's the part where I'm like okay this is ever like this is a well known maybe war suits them trope about you know like psychopaths is is that they start with animals you know and and it's. It's such a weird thing to communicate about the character, and I do truly, truly believe it was meant to just be, this is this is a thing that boys do. This is one of those thoughtless acts of violence that boys do that could contribute towards someone who... It might also be... Because, like, in the first episode of the pod, I was, I was casting some doubt on the idea that this was, like, an outright condemnation of a certain subset of Gundam fans and like in the second half of the series I, I think it's much more clearly yeah, textually with that. Yeah, the uh, Che Talcott scene. Yeah. Talcott scene, excuse me, when they're, you know, the bullet casings. Right. No. A, a scene later on we'll talk about the end. I agree. I, I think those are much more textually con- condemnations, uh, you know, I, and I just, it's hard for me, for me this is a condemnation. For me, I, I heard this, <laughs> I heard this line and I was like, uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> all, all my sympathy for Al went out the window. Oh no! 
<laughs> and it's you know it's just I one mean, of those. It's okay though, though, because we get all that sympathy back when we learn that he has to live with Stephen J. Bloom dad again. Yeah, Stephen J. Dad for the rest of his Surprisingly life. Surprisingly handsome too. I wrote yes, that down. Yeah. Strikingly really handsome dream daddy. Man. Yeah, Dream Daddy Bloom is for yeah. sure in the house. Has logged on. He's got dream some daddy smolder. That's where that OVA budget's gone to. So well, I mean, he, he must be okay. I'm sorry. We're gonna have to earn the explicit right now. Why the fuck is he dripping wet in his pajamas at the very end <laughs> hold on I, I, I have what to, the hell what was going on what's going on the very the very end the very like last scene where they're in the kitchen like almost the epilogue at that yeah point. almost yeah. the epilogue he he like first shows up and then he like dries himself but like not taking off his pajamas he like dries himself on the apron of 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 the oh mama. the dad yep yeah, yeah. Right. I thought you meant Al I was like what no 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 no, no, yeah. no, no. I oh, meant yeah. the dad why why is he dripping wet but he put he's dripping wet so like presumably he showered or I something. thought it, all right the way did I read he shower it is, with his pajamas on I read did he, I read it as like a husband wife like affectionate I don't know I think that's how it's meant but it doesn't make sense because why would you take a shower and then put your pajamas on well, without drying off it almost struck me like. Like, because like, I, I think you're both right, for sure. I think it is supposed to be like this, like, Wilma and Fred, like, yeah, married. Look at this happy household that, that Al is yeah. in. But, like, know? I was always like, so wait, did this motherfucker step into the shower with his jams on still? Yes. Is that, like, is <laughs> this? But, like, the, the jams don't look wet. No. So that's why I'm led to believe that he, he took the jams off, took a shower, put the jams back on without drying off, and then walked into the kitchen to dry off using the apron. I also like how they're, like, Ebenezer Scrooge-ass jams. Like, he's, oh, yeah. like, he's, <laughs> like, he's on his way to his, like, banking job or whatever in the, like, 1850s. Like, it's, anyway, we <laughs> I mean, look, this was this needed to be talked this about. This needed to be so. talked about because, you know, so much of the fight scene is, I think, a lot of stuff that we've touched on with the past fight scenes where it looks incredible, has dope music, mm-hmm. it plays out it's in well a really satisfying way. Yeah, well choreographed. Feel the weight of the mechs. Um, the final blows are, are incredible. Like you know, I, I so I mean, we, I think we're all we're all nodding agreement to those things. I mean, the only thing I I feel like might really bear talking about more is that final blow where one goes for the pile, the other goes for the head, and I, only one of those blows matters. Well, I I think that was the the moment I wanted to highlight. I think you know before jumping into that, we should talk about um, Stephen J. Dad. Uh, fittingly being the one to deliver what is like the final like as much as that is the final blow of of the show in many ways like Stephen J. Bloom delivers what is like the fatal blow right to the story and I think what's, like, what's nice about that too is that we're not given any time to see a space battle and be like oh hey does this mean that the fight is going to be for nothing right we are just oh hey by the way the fight's for nothing the, the, it's it's the best actually yeah. the fact that there isn't a dramatic way that that le- lends us into that moment the fact that it's le- like left on our lap in the same way that it's left on on Al's is excellent so the fight happens it's pretty exciting actually it, it, it's it's not quite as one sided as it should be due to the preparations that they did and so we finally get to we, they even trade blows like they they were both wounded by the time we get to the final final exchange of blows and we have the zaku 2 with bernie inside of it on in the heat axe and the you know this in many ways is like the iconic one-on-one gundam versus zaku 2 gundam with beam saber out zaku 2 with heat heat axe 
and as as PMC trilogy said, the the final blows happen. The Zaku two is able to decapitate the Alex, but the Alex is able to get the shot into what, as you know, fans of the show would know is where the cockpit is, and you know. At watching this with my partner and someone who's not really well versed in Gundam or Mecha shows, you know, uh, there was a moment where they cheered because Birdie got the the headshot and like in a in a fight between people, the the gut shot. I mean, the gut shot is still pretty fatal. Gut but, shot probably lethal, but certainly not the same as decapitation, which is certainly lethal. Right in 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 a normal in a, in the context of a fight between people and not in mech suits. Um, so the the fight ends. Uh, Bernie is defeated by by Chris and the Alex. Yeah, and, and then at that point, of course, also uh, Al, you know, along with the audience, gets to, gets to witness that moment, and we really see Al go from zero to thousand yard stare in six episodes. Yeah, that's that's, that's absolutely true. It's it's. I think you know it's. It, we talked about the, some of the incidental um, voice work in previous episodes when it come came to. Uh, uh, communicating the damage of the fight, and in this case, this is the most brutal one, which is where we hear Bernie described as a pile of hamburger. Yes, um, a very tone deaf resp- a pile of hamburger. And he loves hamburgers; he's full of it. Yeah. But, but I think, in some way, it, it echoes, of course, the way that I Bernie, Bernie. That's how I yeah, read it. He's yeah. very descent. I guess they're very descent. Because they're full now. of McDonald's. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Bernie witnesses the guy, the corpse getting shot next to him early on. And I think in that same way that the, the guys who were handling that corpse are like, well, whatever, it's a right. corpse. The guys who are handling the aftermath of this fight are like, it's a corpse. It's well, another day on the job. Well, not only that, but like to them, they're, he's from some fucking Zeon whatever douchebag. Like, who gives a shit? That's like, true. Uh, you know, it's it's it, it, we, the audience, have the... And the thing, too, that, that War in the Pocket wants us to remember from now on for the rest of the time is that every random-ass Zaku 2 pilot who gets pulled out uh, and is a pile of hamburger after an awesome Gundam fight is probably a Bernie or, or has just as much a chance of being a Bernie as being, I, I don't know, your random fascist dickhead. Right, right. Um, Another thing I wanted to bring up too. So while I was watching it, some I knew how the show was ending. And then I thought, I really wish there was more interaction between Chris and Bernie. At first, I thought maybe that would have lent more emotional weight to the conclusion. However, I'm glad they didn't ultimately. I prefer the subtlety because everything in their relationship is rooted now in possibility, which makes it so bittersweet. Maybe they could have. Maybe they would have fallen in love and got married. Maybe they would have dated some time and then separated. Maybe they would have bounced off each other. We don't know, but it's all possibility. I really like that about the relationship. I, I think. I think you hit the nail on the head by saying that the what makes it more effective is the fact that most of it exists within probability. Like within, I didn't. Like, I didn't overtly want like, oh, here's the episode where they go on a date. At first, was, I might have wanted just a few more minutes of interaction. Well, I think that 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 tension, that friction you're describing is is like excellent though. I I, I agree. Emotionally, I also wanted, like, if if even just to see Chris Moore, I did want to see what those react interactions would really be like. Turn into a real Romeo and Juliet story. Um, but at, at the same time, for the the purposes of, because I think they were intending to, like we touched on previously, they were intending to do a lot of like, uh, b- uh, uh interaction via transitive, you know, through Bernie yeah. or through Al rather, and I think. T- to have them interact more directly would also increase the the like because the other thing that you have to answer at that point is like how they avoid discovering the truth about each other mm-hmm. you know like and like there's 
I can see show there. I can visualize yeah, I mean, that, show. That's, I think that sort of thing is is a common enough narrative trope in you know series like The Americans, Breaking Bad, that sure kind of stuff. Certainly. Um, so, like, I, I think that it, for the purposes of the story they're trying to tell, um, it it's it works. I, and I think for the reason that you pointed out, but I agree with you that emotionally, I I wanted to see those two interact more. Yeah. Um, Actually, this brings me to one of my final questions. I just thought of this. I informed you guys like an hour ago, but. So we have these original, these first big OVAs, right? right? They always war. They always go back to the one year war, even in 2019, like Thunderbolts, for example. I think it's called Thunderbolt, Thunderbolts. All the OVAs sure. mine this well trod territory. And we had Oatham after this. We have Oatham S team. There's a movie at the end. It ties up some details. Reuses mostly 80 percent of the animation, but sure. some details. Mm-hmm. And same with Stardust Memory has one too. Last Blitz of Zeon, I believe. What's the Oatham S team one called? I can't remember. Oh, Miller's Report. Actually, I like the framing device in that. Anyway, if there was a War in the Pocket movie, let's say a compilation movie played in theaters, 80%, 85% reuse footage, 15% new scenes, what scenes would you add? I'll start off just because I have a few things prepped. I thought about it. So if you were to add those Chris Burney um, scenes, so be it. I also thought, this has really no thematic relevance either, but I'm surprised we never saw Colonel oh, Helsing get intercepted by the Federation. That could have made for an... You know, interesting action scene. Nothing really thematic weight, but that's something they could have added into a film. Yeah, I don't know. I think when we talked earlier about when Stephen J. Bloom drops the revelation in our lap, I think, you know, it doesn't... The no point before that does the series give to us the possibility that there is going to be an interception of the Xeon nuke fleet. Yeah. And so... as Or that... Sorry. No, I was going to say, as cool as that would that would be, I worry that, that it would undercut the dramatic reveal. Oh, yeah. Uh, or or that even that, that Von Helsing would surrender. Like, that's something I, I think that, that, you know, is the real, like, twist of it, is that, like, Von Helsing, as much as the, the, that fleet was intercepted, I got the impression that Von Helsing basically, like, in a way that other Xeon soldiers wouldn't, was yeah. like, actually, we're, we're good. Like, you know, we'll hand ourselves over. Uh, and maybe this wasn't. Maybe that was an impression that I got that wasn't necessarily no, textually. Because yeah. because I got the impression from von Helsing, maybe you know through through the Tim Curry like voice that he was doing, that <laughs> that he he was like, uh, no, <laughs> like this doesn't seem like a very good idea. So you, you know, I, I to answer your question though, I I think. I would think of this as almost like in uh, Lord of the Rings extended edition sort of situation where my my core interest would be in scenes that are character building mm-hmm. specifically. So the the stuff I would want to see is more Chris. Like I want to see more Chris more, yeah. in the Federation. I want to see her relationship or even to her uh, Professor Labumba Labumba as well. I want a whole show about that dude. Yeah, yeah. like he is so interesting and cool. Like I, I and I love the idea of. Like this dude whose primary interest is medical technology, but like the military approaches him and like his his expertise is needed in order to turn this what is otherwise the the rise of a fascistic power into like that's an awesome show right yeah. there. Yeah. Um, I think I, the thing I might be interested in is just a little more uh, table setting for for Bernie. I know at the very beginning I had mentioned like why why is Bernie crashing inside the colony. Um, I agree. Some of those things would be interesting. Also, I think would serve as a vehicle for further characterization of, yeah. of Bernie. 
Because Bernie is a viewpoint character, right? I mean, I think if we considered Al to be the sole viewpoint character, I would say, well, wait a second. We really need to view Bernie through Al. But in this case, we're getting scenes with just Bernie. We're seeing Bernie's perspective. Oh, so yeah. I think it makes sense mm-hmm. that we as the audience would be able to see the reality of Bernie contrast with Al's image of Bernie in the early episodes. I, I agree. I mean, Bernie, we, we needed a perspective character from Cyclops Squad. And and so, because the thing to remember is that, like, we, the audience, are on, because of the framing, because of perspective, we are on Zeon's side in this case. So, I agree that he's a perspective character and a little bit more would be would be yeah. only helpful. Right. This brings us to our last scene, too. The most, arguably the most heavy-handed scene as well, when they're at the school. Which is a nicely done scene, but then we have the scene. It's a little too heavy-handed for my taste. I, I understand what they're doing. I just can't. It's too, it's too on the nose. So before Do we want to hit the tape. Well, so we we should talk about the tape. We should oh, talk about. Oh the school. yes. Um, um. But before we even get to there, I want to talk about Chris's last scene. Um, okay. Because yeah. I I in the last podcast, if it still exists in the edit, I, I stopped the podcast cold to talk about the the use of childhoods as a framing device and the sort of weird. Uh, lack of sexual politics that exists within uh, 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 War in the Pocket. And the reason I brought all that up, which seemed weird out of context, mm-hmm. was because of this kiss. This weird kiss in uh, Chris's last moments. You know, she's she's been injured from this battle. She's being transferred back to Earth. It's hard to tell from that scene whether or not this was a punishment or a reward for her actions on the colony. And she wants to say you know, like, goodbye to you, Al. And if you see your brother Bernie, you know... Tell him I said bye too, and she gives him a very long kiss. Right, and like they animate the hair in a very particular way. The hair is especially like so. The I, again, let's not. I'm gonna. I'm collecting all the snakes that I'm unleashing right now. Yeah, would bag. you stop doing? That? I'm sorry, because uh, they'll put it away. But I just wanted. I did want to bring attention to again the choices made in the visuals that we see in regards to how Chris delivers this kiss that is for Al, but by transitive property, in my opinion, is also for Bernie. You know, this moment was what I was largely trying to get to. Let's, let's, but let's, having said that, let's put that aside. Let's talk about the, the floppy. Mm. Um, the Troy McClure scene. Yeah. yeah. Hey, kids, you might remember me from some other botched uh, Zeon attempts. It really is like a Troy yeah. McClure scene. Um, uh, I was touched. I, I, you know, so was I. I think that from the writing, you know, there it, it was easy for me to emotionally accept a dude who has, like, reached his end point and is kind of, like, comfortable with it. You know, I, I think that the writing was effective here. Mm-hmm. He... he uh, got across what he wanted to get across. I don't know if Al... When we sum up our thoughts, I'll, I'll talk about this more. I don't know if Al has the tools to really take in what mm-hmm. Al, what Bernie's telling him here. You know, like, for better or for worse, I think I don't think this helps Al feel better about anything. I don't know if this would help anybody feel better about all this. You know, this is one of those emotional situations that, thankfully, I, I, I've never had to... To really confront, yeah. So I, mean, I think I think it is. It's probably very interesting for Alan. I think he doesn't have the tools to deal with it, but it does. It very much comes across that the same speech that Chris gives to Al. This is almost sort of what uh, Bernie is saying. Right. Right. Um. It, it, it's it, it worked for me. I thought it was a. I didn't think this would. <laughs> I was curious. I was thinking about like, all right. So let's just say that Bernie that Al brought this to the cops like right away. 
and the cop like popped in the floppy and executed fl- immediately. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Episode two executed immediately. Um, uh, yeah, I was just thinking, you know, if you're that cop, you know, and this is the boy who cried nuke previously, and he brings this in. Do you, do you feel like at this point? Because, like, let's in the year of our Lord 2019, if I brought in a a USB with like a tape of Trilogy being like, Yes, I plan to nuke the colony, um, the cops would be like, Well, this seems like you photoshopped it Mm -hmm. and and it's you and your friend in the backyard. Do you see what I'm saying? I don't know if this would still help. Well, (laughs) at this point, though, I don't see Al going to the police with it, though. No, he wouldn't have. I'm just saying, Stephen J. Dadbloom has maybe slightly advanced knowledge of the Xeon fleet destruction because he witnesses it from the transport ship. Sure. Oh, okay. But that's I, a good point. But I also imagine, does that news spread quickly enough? Because, I mean, we're, we're obviously speculating here about, right. about the idea of Al taking it. And, uh, you know, I think the, 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 the extent to which they would take it seriously would scale appropriately with the extent to which that news has traveled. I forgot about that. That's a real good point, honestly. Yeah. Um, I didn't think about that either. Uh, but yeah, I, I I thought this bit was good. It worked for me. Yeah, yeah. I could see also Chris holding onto this and returning to it years, decades down right. the line. If he, oh, if for he sure. Live that long and not be annihilated it, in a future conflict. If it, it, when you ask the question about like the movie version of this, my framing device would be a year out years. Yeah, later. where do we see Al? There's a few readings you could take. You could see him as learning nothing. I see. I think he learned something, but with his more with his. Killing frog tendencies as well. Why don't we? Why don't we get to the end? Yeah, and, and I think that would be a good wrap-up question. I was going to say. I mean, don't don't worry that this cool robot show is over <laughs> because there'll be another one soon. That's well, true. That I mean, yeah, <laughs> I agree. Oh wait, so, I'm sorry. Did I say robot show? I meant to say war. Another war. I, I was talking yeah. about come, the text of the come show. Come on, trilogy. Don't cry. Another war will start soon, and it'll be even bigger, bigger, flashier, and more fun than this one. This is this is not from the dub. This is from the sub. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. It's very similar to the dub. Right. Yeah, that's right. what he says in the sub. It is okay. So here we are at the school. It is reopening after the the events of War in the Pocket. Um, and the the, the principal, superintendent, whatever Richard Epcar, the the president of the school. Is it fucking Richard Epcar? No, no, no. Oh, okay. Sorry. Oh, because of Persona. That's because right. of Persona. That's yeah, right. Sorry. Anyway. I was. <laughs> you certainly didn't see that coming. Um. Uh, he's like, hey, the school is opening. Uh, also, there was a war. War is bad, as it turns out. And I wouldn't want anyone specific in the crowd to start, you know, having complicated feelings about war right now. And so Al starts to cry. Uh, and his friends, uh, Talcott and and Chalm, uh, are... <laughs> they're, they're walking internet message board. They're, well, it's... What's really great about them is that they are, exist as this sort of, like, Timon and Pumbaa to, like... <laughs> To really make sure the abrasiveness of the text, like, is clear to, at the very least, Al. Mm. Like, they're sitting there, like, Al has a paper cut, and um, Chalm has the lemon juice, and Talcott has the, like, salt, and just, just, mmm, you like that? Do you like that <laughs> feeling? And what I like about that in particular is that Dorothy is also, Dolores, has also come... Is it Dolores? I don't remember at this point. Just go. Well, because like, because <laughs> I feel like I said Dorothy before. Chum. Anyway, anyway, um, Zona the Ender's Dolores yeah. goes to uh, the the teacher to go help to help Al specifically. Like she is the only one who's picked up that on what really Al is upset about. 
and that's it's our last shot is is the the class as al is is crying mourning the loss of two of his friends and his and his innocence in a lot of ways like his sense of childhood while his two dumb friends <laughs> isn't this swell his two dumbass friends <laughs> are like hey man don't worry about yeah. It's no big deal. Why you have to cry? <laughs> <laughs> it's just the game. It's why just, you have to be mad? Yeah. Why you have to be mad? Um, so that that rounds out uh, War in the Pocket. Uh, why don't we Why don't we take the second? Uh, unless there was another uh, uh, game or uh, 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 what's the term uh, segment we wanted to do before we got into our final thoughts. The only about thing the show. was uh, where do you see Al in the future? That's the only question uh, I had. I'm uh, not really sure. There's a few readings I could take it. I could see him perhaps forgetting many of the lessons he learned today. I could see him perhaps as a casualty of war. I could see him as an accountant forever brooding about the loss he experienced. Um, I don't know why I go to accountant, but... I, I mean, so here, here's... I think no matter what, his relationship to this stuff has altered. I, I, I think that uh, you, you don't really, like, establish the relationships that you do and then lose them, and, and it... it Will you will treat life differently from from that moment on? Now, like having said that, I don't think he ends up like a like an Amuro Ray or a, not Amuro. That's a bad example. Like a like a like a good sweet boy protagonist. I don't think that's where he's heading. I I, I don't think he's heading into soldier life either. I, I think he's heading more into uh like his just becoming his dad like a, a businessman or you know just i think he is firmly landed in that like trajectory and I, yeah i think he ends up with firmly negative feelings about a lot of the you know the topics that have caused him to to suffer this emotional anguish right and so i think you know i don't i don't see him you know running away from home to to join the military or something and like that but i do see him holding these opinions very closely but not necessarily straying from the normal path set before him yeah i i think that he's got too much of a inlaid structure already like that's part of what he was railing against in the first place was like the these expected behaviors for him and i i think he's too i i think there's a world where this is the the metal gear solid origin story for for you know uh <laughs> laughing octopus or something like that is that uh, al's nickname uh, no. Well, I, I think that is actually one of the Metal Gear Solid 4 um, Beauty and the Beasts, I think, is laugh- one of them is Laughing Octopus. I totally passed that whole... M- Desiccated frog. Memory, yeah. Well, well, the remember... <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> He's still um, wearing that dopey t-shirt, too. Oh, my God. The or- frogs thing was a real problem for that's me. Why, that's why I don't have a clear read on it. I don't yeah. know. Uh, the frogs thing... Well, again, I don't, I don't want to put too much emphasis on that, mostly because I, I really think that that is would be less fucked up i know this is a dumb thing to say i think in for japanese audiences that would play as less fucked up than it does to me mm-hmm. personally like you know there's a show a shonen battle show called yu yu haka show and and one of the uh principal antagonists in one of the arcs is revealed to have been the sort of person who worked at a pet shop so that he could do horrific surgery on the adorable pets not a vet's office mind you a pet shop not a place correct me if i'm wrong not a place typically where pet surgery occurs so typically to me this is a signifier for someone who doesn't have the emotional tools to function in in real mm-hmm. human society, but I, I I don't think that's what we were supposed to 
like I talk a lot about signifiers, and and what I mean by that is is the the sort of attempts by the writer to tell us something about a character or setting or what have you without saying it outright. Yeah, I mean, as a passing detail, we're like make, we might, we're probably making a mile out of molehill. Uh, but but it's I I think it's one worth bringing attention. It's the word to. torture. How quickly he admits to torturing the frog. Right. It's just not like for even for a a kid who doesn't know any better. Like this to me, like our closest equivalent would be like the the cliche of the the trope of the mag- the kid in the magnifying glass and the uh, yeah Sid and, from Toy Story. But even then, like I, I just there's something, and I know this is arbitrary and possibly I don't know like Eurocentric or American or something like that. But like there's something there's ant and frog. Mm, I I would say there's differences there, but it, it, I also recognize that it is a little arbitrary. Mm-hmm. So pushing towards a a conclusion and putting a stamp on this, uh, I think the main question I would have uh, is war bad? Uh, yes. Yeah. Period. Yeah. No, that's it, right? That's really it. That's, well, not only is war bad, but war that could have been altered in title for this podcast too. Is, is war bad? Is war bad? Yeah, we will go- seek out the answer to that question. Is war bad? I mean, not only is war bad, but the the I think you're right to point out that the end of the show directly calls out the the sort of like d- need the demand the audience demand for these kinds of things like it's not specifically mech shows but shows or games or media or toys that are you know gamify war that 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 really uh creates in your head a physical space between uh artifice the the uh uh production of war versus the reality of what war is which is violence for the means of acquiring a thing whether that's power or land or you know social or cultural power like you know it's not a a fun exercise and and war in the pocket is trying to dramatically present to you a case for that i I, you know it's you know it really it's it's successful all around like the, the worst thing you can really maybe i should save this for later when we sum up our personal opinions but the you know the worst thing you can say about it is that it's it's a little slow and mundane and yeah. like the, the slowness and the mundaneness is is on purpose and excellent in a way that it's for me was fun to watch like mm-hmm. it, it's the sort of show that isn't really or it's a sort of f- production that isn't really made anymore yeah do you have any questions for us Ignis? about the uh, just post uh post thoughts about the show oh uh well so uh overall I was wondering if you guys had any like follow up thoughts regarding, you know, do we want to touch on? We didn't really touch upon the Alex, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we we saw two forms of the Alex Gundam here: the the armored form and the the other form. Uh, uh, we talked about the comp for a little bit, but I didn't really s- find space to uh, talk about the Alex. No, I mean, I feel like with this show, you know, there's less of a there is naturally less of a focus on that. Uh, you know, in terms of sort of you know most valuable robot or something like that, that, that you know I think that idea plays less well here because of the focus on the topics that we've already right, discussed. Right, right. There's so less. I mean, in Gundam in this gen- in this yeah. era in general, there's less stylistic flourish than you would see Gundam now, for example. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, just to put a quick cap on it, I, I like the Alex. Yeah, I, I think as far as your basic RX seven eight designs go, because this is. You know, I talked about the designer in the first episode. He's the same guy who designed the new Gundam, which I I would say is the the best of the RX seven eight style Gundam designs. Uh, this one is good. You know, not again. This is you know uh, uh, as as far as just like simplistic people shaped 
you know, armor-looking uh, sort of Gundam go, but I, I like it. I like how it's just a little bit bulkier. It reminds me of the second form of Welltall. Yeah. So for final thoughts, I just want... I, I love this OVA. I liked it since I first watched it on... Either I bought the VHS or watched it first on Adults. It was on Adults or on Midnight Run? What yeah, a, it was on Toonami's Midnight Run. Yes, so when I watched it first on uh, in one of those venues... One thing I really like going back to it is now in 2019, whenever I go back to an old 80s OVA, I think the animation is just gorgeous. The attention to detail, it was the hand style, I will always vouch for that. Yeah, it was a pleasure to watch. It was nice. It was very condensed. The emphasis on the writing was refreshing. And, yeah. I, I, I definitely want to co-sign the emphasis on the writing thing. Like yeah, that That's something sure. that's actually difficult to come across in the medium, really, yeah. is an appreciation for, like, solid because of how much anime is like structured and 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 is intent on maintaining that structure like i really appreciated that yeah as i've been rewatching some anime recently i've been really paying attention to looking for for thematic details uh because i feel like so, so often when we hear people talk about writing maybe they're getting into just does the plot unfold in a clever and puzzle-like manner sure uh, that doesn't really do it for me. It's cute, but it doesn't last for me in the way that the uh, thematic unraveling of, of a narrative does. And War in the Pocket is, I mean, it's, it was not something that I had watched before, but it in, it very much incredibly meets uh, you know the, the, the needs and wants I have in terms of getting that content from a production. Right. All right, so this wraps up our second episode and wraps up War in the Pocket as a whole. Join us, if this is ever released to the public, join us next week where we'll talk about something mech-related, probably Gundam Wing. Yeah, we're at this time we don't know what our destiny is, our our, our Gundam Seed destiny is. But yeah, no, it's a great. It's a it great, won't be Seed destiny. Yeah, we'll we're that. definitely not doing that. It's a great January day here in twenty XX. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but yeah, this has been uh, Ignis, uh, Stephen Hero. Um, PMC Trilogy. Uh, I'm, you can find me at PMC Trilogy on both Twitter and Twitch. Nice. I don't have a Twitter. Nor do I. Uh, and we will see you next time on uh, Mechanations. Uh, be good and mech it. <laughs> mech it so. Mech it so. Oh, that's good.